A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenceless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There are chart more heat waves and in the UK they've actually issued an amber heat warning for the weekend but look out at that it's just a little bit manky it's going to clear though Uh, the afternoon and the evening will be very nice and I think this is probably the worst of it you'll see for the rest of the week we'll have uh, some nice weather mid to low to mid 20s for the rest of the week and a bit of sunshine in the afternoon and the evenings Uh, that heat wave across Europe um, over the weekend, getting up into the southeast of the UK. They're looking at an amber weather warning there, but I don't think we've too much to worry about in that regard. Although they're looking at maybe next Monday or Tuesday getting up to 25, 26, 27 degrees. It's summertime. I know people are terribly worried about climate change and all of that, and rightly so, but it's summertime and we like it to be hot in the summertime, do we not? Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. Every so often on a program like this, people reach out to you and you wonder what the hell is going on in decision makers' offices around this city and county of ours. We got a, a note from Sarah. She said, Hi PJ, I hope you're well. I'm reaching out to you in the hope you or some of your listeners might be able to advise us on what rights we might have. We got a letter in the post from our son's preschool saying it will not reopen in August of this year. And you sent us a copy of the letter, Sarah. We've read it and we're asking, we've asked for a statement from uh, uh, the relevant people. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Tell me about this. What's the story? Yeah. So yesterday morning, got a letter in the door. When I opened it first, I thought it was a letter to say when they'll be going back and blah, blah. And as I started to read through, I was like, I could feel the panic setting in. So the letter basically stated that um, board of directors did everything they could, uh, but the school will be closed. Bear in mind, they were supposed to be going back in six weeks. So as you can imagine, we just panicked yesterday going, oh, my God, what, what are we going to do? 
knowing full well that it's very hard to try get your child into a preschool uh, because there's just waiting lists and there's just you know what I mean there's mm. lack of funding and there's just lack of spaces so um, this is the stepping stones in Farnley this yeah. is yeah this so this is stepping stones in Farnley um, the place teachers are in the same boat teachers only found out last week got told basically sorry nothing could be done so they're in the same boat as we are everyone is kind of in the dark the issue is that we're having is that there's radio silence from the board of directors no one is taking any phone calls um no one is answering the emails we've rang all the numbers we have same with the teachers they they're they're getting no information the issue is that we don't know how this has come about like you know everything was going fine we had like did graduation, they had met the new teachers for next year, we did an open day, even all the new class that were starting had their open days and we just randomly got this letter to say, so we have no idea if funding was allocated to the school, the teachers don't know so, I mean, there's 30 plus kids now that are trying to scramble to try find other places um, you know on the north side of the city um, I was ringing places yesterday like in McCroom and in Middleton but that's would be making my child drive an hour and a half do you know what I mean in I the morning, it's just it's crazy the, So the, the, the letter refers to a phone number yeah. you can call what do you get when you call that number it's just ringing out I rang it all day yesterday um, I rang that number for the school and I emailed the email that we had for the school and absolutely nothing we're getting nothing back from them like mo- all the parents have tried to call it we've all tried to get in contact just to try to get some more information as to why we weren't told this sooner if things were in trouble if we had been informed a couple of weeks back you know we could have tried to do something to try save the school that's what we're really trying to do at the moment if the teachers are there the kids are there we have the numbers um, we just we have no idea why the board of directors have just done this and have given us no information on it um, so you know we were ringing um, Cork Childcare yesterday and the girls in the office have been fantastic they had no information same as us they basically got the information two or three days saying listen it was closing so they literally had nothing to give us yesterday um, you know there was a couple of mothers trying to ring them and get information and they were they were really good just we've been emailing back and forth um, with the girls in the office there just to see if there's anything that can be done if we can try keep the school open because mm-hmm. as far as we can see it just needs a, a board of directors but we have no idea of, yeah. of our rights or how we go about it. From what you tell me, and uh, we're not mentioning any names here, you'll allow that, but you said that the chairman of the board of management said the school was closing, directors Mm -hmm. had stepped down, and the school can't stay open without new directors. That is about the only explanation on offer. When when was your your lad due to go back, Sarah? They were due to go back um, the 30th of August. 30th of August, so there's about about six weeks away. Six weeks. We had the time. We we had met all the new the new teachers. They have a, like an upstairs and a downstairs school, and he 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 has no idea. He was chatting to one of his little friends yesterday, saying, "I'm so excited. I'm going to upstairs school. We'll be able to look out the windows." What age is he? He he'll be four in September, oh. so he he doesn't understand. And one of the other kids said, "No, no, your school isn't." And he was looking, going, "No, no, my school is there. I saw the building." So this is the other issue is that you have all of these children who are used to the school. You know they settled in really really well and now they're going to be you know torn away from all their friends put into new schools with all different new systems so they've done their prep for this they've met their new teacher oh my god exactly yeah and you know they've they've met all the friends and stuff like that um so that's the other side of it like 
my son took a good couple of weeks to settle in and it was only thanks to the teachers there that they, you know, they worked with him and they got him settled in and he's flying it and he's excited to go to school. He doesn't even look at me. He just runs in the door and it's only because of the teachers in that school um, that he is like that. So, you know, we're, we say, we contacted you first thing um, yesterday morning, um, I was talking to Fiona and we were saying, is there anything, we're looking for information to see if there's anything we can do to try keep the school open. We, we have, we have that. Uh, we've sent um, um, uh, email to Cork City Childcare yes. requesting a statement. We've had nothing back so far, but if we do, yeah. we let you know. Stay there for me, Sarah. I bring in Perfect. Julie. Julie, you're in the same situation. Good morning. Yeah, hi, how are you? Yeah, like basically, Sarah's after um, putting it across for me. Well, what's after happening? But like that, we were just blindsided by the whole lot of it. Just a letter in the door yesterday morning to say the school won't be there in August for the kids. And then when we're trying to ring other schools as well... Julie, could you maybe get a small bit closer to your phone for me? There's a bit of an echo on it. Yeah, can you hear me now? That's better, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Um, and basically when we're ringing other schools, the majority of them are full, and then the places that aren't answering the phone um, are closed for the summer. So how are you supposed to get your name down if you're trying to go to a school that's not open, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They won't be open until August again. Now, I have been on to a few local TDs that are behind us trying to help us um, keep it open as well like they don't want it to go either and I did get an email from another preschool in Blackpool that have got onto the the board of childcare to say that they're willing to take over the management of the school but yeah. like that they've sent an email and haven't had any reply either the bit the bit that I don't understand and I'm not I'm not using the gentleman's name you'll understand that but yeah. the bit that I don't understand is that the, the, the chairman's explanation is that the, the, the directors have stepped down and the school can't stay open without new ones. But surely there's got to be, and that would be my question, surely there's got to be a way to select new directors. Well, like I said, I've had an email from a different preschool to say that they're willing to take over the management of Stepping Stones, yeah. uh, the board of management of it. But like that, they're just waiting for a reply as well. And um, we've been on to Thomas Gould, McNugent, they're all on board to help us. But like that, it's just trying to get an answer from someone. No one is replying to us. Yeah. It's, the worst, um, it's the worst time of the year. There couldn't be, a, bar Christmas, there couldn't be a worse time of the year no. for trying to pin somebody yeah. down at the end of a phone because they're no. all on holidays. And that's it, and it's I desperate, like, 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 like. Yeah. Sorry, It's like the north side again, another resource being pulled from the north side, you know what I mean? And it's the, it's the children that suffer. Yeah, it's and it's, so, the second, it's, it's the second preschool infirmary that has closed over the last yeah. two or three years because they've closed one in Cushion Place due to the board of management as well. Um, so, like, we literally have nothing. Like, I need my child to be in a preschool that's near from my mum. My mum don't drive, so, like, when I'm working, my mum will have to collect her. Yeah. I can't put Ada somewhere far away because, like that, I wouldn't have anyone that would be able to collect her yeah. while I'm working. But there's actually nothing else in the area for us. Like, that's 30 kids now that have been just completely left down. Mm-hmm. Desperate on the teachers, the work they've put into them over last year. And they're such a small, like... The group of them, they're so, they're close, like, you know, all the kids in that. And now imagine trying to get them in somewhere else that they'll have to build up relationships with mm-hmm. teachers, mm-hmm. with other kids. Again, it's just, it's absolutely desperate on them, like. But you put and your finger on it there, it. Julie. That, that you, you put your finger on it there and you maybe you didn't realise you were doing it. Like, this doesn't just affect the, the, the 30 little young lads involved. It affects their moms and their dads. It affects their yeah. grannies and their granddads. It affects anybody who contributes to their care 
in any way by day. This affects dozens and dozens of people. It's not going to affect all the way down, like, you know, for everyone, even the poor teachers. Like, I'm heartbroken over the teachers because they're absolutely brilliant with the kids. They put so much work into each and every one of the kids. And, like, when you go to collect the kids from school, you always have a conversation with the teacher. They tell you how the day went. They're absolutely brilliant. And have you been able to talk? I mean, I know mums these days have WhatsApp groups, huge WhatsApp groups. Have you been able to talk to any of the mums or to any of the teachers? teachers? So what I done yesterday was I set up um, a Facebook group with all the mums just saying, like, that we'd all have to stick together. Any ideas going forward, what we can do, like... All we have, we have to try for our kids, you know what I mean? Um, I've been in contact with two of the teachers and being honest, they're just absolutely heartbroken. Like, they didn't, they're out of jobs. Like, there's one teacher How there for 15 years. When did they find Thursday, out? Her, Thursday, they just had to go for a meeting and they were told there's no jobs for August. And, like, there's one of the teachers there 15 years, another teacher's there six years. Like, they're just, that's their livelihood has been affected as well, like. You know, it's absolutely desperate, like. All right, it was so a shock. I actually nearly fell over when I opened the letter because I was saying, why did they allow them to meet their teachers two weeks ago, show them their new classroom? If they had any doubt at all that this was, was going to be the yeah. case, why allow it? Well, I, I got the email that, that you sent on, Sarah. I think you sent it, and I passed yes. it up the line to Fiona and to Fergal to get the legwork going on it. And I, I, I thought the same thing. Like, the six weeks to the reopening of the school, how are people supposed to find places in the space of six weeks and like you said two weeks ago or three weeks ago they all thought oh here's where you're going for next year what happened in in the intervening time Julie and Sarah thank you both we've sent a message we've asked Cork City Childcare for a statement uh, and at this point in time we haven't received one <clears throat> both my kids went to that preschool it's an amazing school with fabulous staff says this message both my children went through there with autism and we never needed any support of any kind, any extra support workers, such is the calibre of staff and teachers who are there. Anyone been through this and come out the other side of it like six weeks, they're supposed to go back on August 30th, which is only six weeks away and they already got introduced to their new teachers, got shown their new classrooms went home with little smiles on their faces you know or rather big smiles on their little faces. Here's where I'm going. I'm going to upstairs school. Like, when you're four, like, that's that's big. Anybody been through this and got out the other side or know where the moms might go or the dads or anybody who's helping out with this? And what happens in the space of three weeks? And why, yeah, sure, if board of directors retired, that, that's fine. If directors step down, that's fine. But can you not just get some new directors? Anyone got advice for these parents and these families? 0818 96 96 96. Your voice messages. Welcome also at 083 396 96 96. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. Maureen was down at the Cost of Living protest last night outside City Hall and we'll be hearing from that a little later in the hour 
But John says, look, this was all just a meaningless stunt. This is this confidence vote tonight in the Dáil, which the government will win. It has the votes. It'll have maybe 82 votes and that'll be grand and safe and they can go home for the summer recess and not be too worried about having to call an election in four weeks' time. But John says this is just a meaningless stunt. If Sinn Féin really want to show up for the fall and Fine Gael, they should call on the deputies not to take the summer break because the country's in crisis and just work their way through the best solutions to the cost of living crisis. Well, John, that was never going to happen anyway. But the other thing about it is these confidence motions, and I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn here, these confidence motions never come onto the floor of the Dáil unless everybody knows exactly what's going to happen. And if anybody thinks that any TD, opposition or government wanted to plunge us into an August general election, then they need their head examined. The only reason this is happening tonight is that everybody involved knew it was safe for it to happen. And all this cobbling together of votes to try to get the government over the line. The government was always going to get over the line tonight. And everybody knew it. Even the opposition. I'm too long around the block now not to understand how this crack works. 0818 96 96 96. Now, NCTs... It's still the story, I think, that if you have an NCT appointment in the glove compartment of your car printed off and the NCT sticker goes out of date on your windscreen, you're okay. Technically, you shouldn't be, but you are. But I thought that all of the appointments had sorted themselves out. Not so. Paul, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Story, dude, what's going on? Well... Our, uh, our Jeep is due its NCT at the end of July, and uh, we've got the reminder letter came uh, last week, which is all very well. So I go online, and our service station, we want, our local one, is in Skibbereen. It's half an hour away. And the first appointment in Skibbereen is the 20th of December. <laughs> available. 20th of December. And as you go through the thing, it gets to the date, and you, you select a time, and it says... Please be advised <clears throat> that uh, it's an offence to drive your car without a valid NCT and you'll be subject to uh, number plate reading and a fine and penalty points if you don't have a valid one. But And uh, even other um, the, even says other suggested uh, sites, one was McCroom, and that was the 2nd of December, Kalani, 2nd of December, and uh, the shortest time was the 30th or 29th of September, and that was a three-hour drive away up in the north of Kerry somewhere. So you did go looking uh, around, in fairness to you? Yeah. I mean, they, they do give you um, other options, other suggested service stations with the nearest newest appointment, you know, the, the closest appointments. Um, and so I, I came back out of that. <clears throat> and then it says, if there's an option, it says, if you can't get a booking, um, you can email the, the bookings people or call them. So because it was on a Sunday... I sent them an email uh, and uh, I got a response back that you're now on a priority list and I'll get a reply back in within two weeks' time. But, I mean, it, I, I don't like comparing. We, we came over here three years ago, PJ, and the, the people have been lovely and, and accepting and so helpful and, and kind and everything else. But every time you see things going on, you know, the, the so basic infrastructure mm. stuff Just falling apart. Just to cut across there for a second, Paul, if you wouldn't yeah, mind. No, you come across from the UK a couple of years ago. You've settled in West Cork, so you'd be familiar with the MOT. Now, supposing oh, yes, you had a car coming up for MOT in three weeks, how quickly would it take you to book a test? 
I could get a test done by the end of the week. Get off. By the end of this week, easily. Um, because the, the, the MOT centres in the UK are a little bit like the, um, the, the CVRT centres. They're, they're done in local garages. And we had an industrial estate which was five minutes drive, ten minutes drive from us. And there were five MOT stations on that estate alone. So, and, 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 you know, you go to the same one and you know the people and they'll book your evening on a Saturday because they appreciate people are working and I could get an appointment probably this Saturday, coming Saturday without too much problem whatsoever. Wow. So, and, and your local, your know. local one down there in Skib to 20th of December and your NCT is up when? Uh, 26th of July. Okay. And you were giving it what, thinking what, two weeks notice? You thought, or three weeks even? You should surely it be. It should be enough. Yeah. You know, it should really be enough. Um, and even if you went sort of a week over, and I, I did look on the, um, the thing about the information where they gave the extensions in the four months extension back in the, in the lockdown for yeah. cars where the NCTs were from March 20. Um, and they said, you can go on to give you a link to click on when's your NCT due. And that would give you the sort of adjusted date. Well, there's no adjustment anymore because the lockdown's finished. And my date still remains the same, the 26th of, uh, 26th, 27th of July. Yeah. And Someone's just on the WhatsApp here, Paul, saying if you phone them up, uh, they'll give you a cancellation date within 28 days. But that's still a bit sort of backdoor, isn't it? Like, you should be able to get an appointment, oh, yeah. you know? You, you should. I mean, we've sent the, phoning them up and doing the email. Uh, there's nobody there on a Sunday. So we, we did the email, so at least we've got that. And it will operate, no doubt, on the same uh, the same principle as, the, as that person has said. You know, they'll give you a cancellation if there is one. But you, you can't operate where you, even if you were to do it 90 days before, it's already a bit of a fast PJ where you, you've got a car that has an MOT in, you know, in two years' time. Because there's nothing to stop you driving around for a year with no brakes and no tyres. So they've tried to extend that out to take the pressure off for cars under sort of 10 years old. But when you can't get an even 90 days in advance, you still can't get an appointment that would keep your current uh, NCT valid. It, yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, And like you said, there's a fine and penalty points now. Yeah, you risk that. And <clears throat> you do. You do risk it because I'm not sure whether that, uh, if you've got the appointment, whether that thing would still be valid or not. It depends. Well, I think it's down to, a, a, Kevin is pointing out here that if you're stopped by a guard, particularly in your local area down there, if you're stopped by a guard and he says your NCT is up, mate, well, look, there's my appointment, 20th of December. That's as early as I can get one. And it, the chances are the guard will move you on. But, but then again, if you're picked up on, on computer recognition, the computer yeah. is programmed to issue you with a fine. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. And, and we will have... I mean, we don't tend to come up to court very much we Dan, unless we have something to do with the, the yeah. medical... By the way, uh, sorry, uh, did you look at Little Island and Blarney, the two ones in the city? Did you look at them? <clears throat> well, I mean, Little Island, again, was uh, was sometime in December. Oh, crikey. Right. And there was, there was no uh, benefit. We, I mean, even driving to Blarney isn't too bad, and Little Island is an hour and a bit. Um, but they were still uh, way out in the, in the time scale. No, in the November, they were. Crikey. All right. Paul, listen, leave it there. <clears throat> I wonder if anybody else is... Exp- imagine uh, loads of people are experiencing this at the moment. Paul's local NCT is Skibbereen. They can give him the 20th of December. He can get nothing earlier, if I'm correct, nothing earlier than the end of September. And that's a three-hour drive away. It's just bonkers.
And yes, if you go through this ringing them up, you'll get a cancellation and they'll phone you up and they'll give you a debt. But that's just a sticking plaster. Anybody waiting for an NC? I'm lucky enough at the moment that I don't have any cars coming up for an NCT. Um, I got rid of the little jalopy I used to drive that required an NCT. got rid of it before the last one was due because I kind of said, nah, <laughs> it'll cost me more than the car is worth to put the damn thing through it. But this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 20th of December. This is the, what, today? This is the 12th of July. And... The man's car is up at the end of July and they're telling him the 20th of December to get into his local NCT centre. And if he was in the UK, he could probably have his MOT booked within five days. Anyone able to explain what the hell is going on here? Anyone in the trade, in the motor trade, able to understand what on earth is going on here? 0818 Adoring Adele. Are you thinking it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Corks 96 FM music panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. C96FM.ie Kate says she contacted the NCT Centre in Little Island and got a date in August. She contacted the centre directly and was given a date in August. There was no bother and staff there were very, very helpful. Kevin does make the point, in case I missed it a while ago, that yes, if you meet a friendly guard and you happen to have that appointment booking in your um, love compartment and if the car hasn't been out of East NCT since 1900 and frozen to death then you'll be alright but if you picked up on number plate recognition you're going to be have a problem because uh, that's that program is that computer is programmed to issue fines other people calling us who've had some luck with the priority list but you kind of wonder should you have to resort to a to a priority list for, for something as basic as, as an NCT. 0818 96 96 96. Do you want to win a hundred euro voucher for pennies? Then get online and vote for the fresh new music we play here on Cork's 96 FM and you could be shopping for free. It's a 10 minute online survey. It's up now at 96fm.ie. It's the Cork 96 FM music panel. Choose the tunes and you could win a hundred euro voucher for pennies. Get online and do it now at 96fm.ie Now, Podrig O'Keefe from Kish Game. The reason I'm doing this interview with you, my friend, is because Cooper can't talk and my dog isn't very good. Okay? <laughs> good. He's the hero here, but you want to talk. You need he to is, talk. I'm reading about him. I What an incredible creature. But tell me about yourself and tell me about Cooper. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I guess Cooper and myself are currently in Ukraine on a human remain detection uh, mission. Uh, Cooper is almost three years of age. Um, he was initially trained on um, a disaster dog capability, which would be live human scent. But in the with the commencement of the war here in the Ukraine, I kind of felt that we we could have a role to play here but I felt it might be more 
in the human remains detection. So yeah. we started to transition him over three months before we actually arrived in country. What is he trained to and, do, Patrick, in simple terms? Uh, simply detect the odour of decomposing human flesh. Okay. Um, grim. No, we started. Yeah, it's 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 grim enough. No, we started him at home on human teeth and human hair, and I mean we've had three taskings since we've been in country. So we've had one successful recovery. Um, there was another site that he gave enough of an indication that the local authorities have marked it for an excavation, and the third site would have been, I guess, inconclusive. Um, it was sort of a site that was beyond our capabilities. We moved two tons of rubble by hand with um, my working partner here, Padraig Kavanagh from Wexford, and it, we just didn't have the capabilities to do the, the excavation required, so we, we called it in as inconclusive. Yeah, yeah, this is, you've got to do this kind of by hand, don't you, or by very small device. You, you can't um, just lodge a bulldozer in there. Well, you know, in, in the initial stages, when on that third site they did excavate it with, with heavy machinery, it was the only, the only way in the end. Um, there's only so much you can do by hand, but you, we put an awful lot on the dog to, to give us some kind of an indication. Now, on that site, as we were getting down, we were coming across scent pockets with a very distinct, strong odour of death, but... You know, we, we brought the dog in any time we got to that stage, we brought the dog in, but he didn't give us enough to say that we were anywhere near source of the scent. Oh, so he will, did, he's, he's trained to, to, you'll smell something, but he's trained to go right to the source and then right does he the bark source. when he finds something? Is that what it is? Yes, so he's bark alert for live human um, search would be a, a, a very high vocal alerts of continuous barking so I've kind of just transitioned them over and kept the the bark alert as well now what he's getting into the habit of doing now is he'll go into a down position at the strongest point of descent and give that vocal alert but we weren't getting anything from him and I mean we sunk a lot of scent holes which would be you know we hammer uh, rebar into the soil and the area around it to, to free up scent and we just couldn't we just couldn't find the source. So we kind of looked at the you know the the science behind it. So it was an impact crater um, from a missile strike on the side of an apartment building. So you know our, our conclusion was there was death in the soil, PJ, but you know it, it was vaporized if, if, oh. if that kind of makes sense. It does. It makes too much sense, Padraig, to be quite honest with this. Yeah. You're seeing and your your wonderful creature is seeing terrible things. I'll talk to you about you in a minute, but tell me about Cooper, this wonderful, wonderful animal. How is he trained and and like what's it like to watch well, him work? Like, oh he's he's a fantastic like he he's my superpower. I mean, um he's when he's in work mode, he's full on, he's focused, he, he knows what he needs to do and he, he does it very diligently. Mm. Um, I guess, so my background is disaster dogs, so it should be 10 years experience with my last dog, um, seven different countries and you know that dog had five, even though he was never trained on cadavers, he had nine successful cadaver recoveries. So five during the earthquake initially in 2015, two on inland waterways in Cork and one off the coast in 
Kerry. So that's kind of where my interest in uh, the human remains detection came in. No, it was much easier with Mambo because he actually got his experience directly at source. Whereas Cooper, with the transition to training, we started him on. No, that training started. He, he was in Greece as a young pup and twas a friend of mine who was one of my instructors in the US where I trained as an urban search and rescue dog handler, said he had a very good letter from very strong bloodline and there was one pup in there he felt would be fantastic for the work we were doing. So unfortunately, COVID delayed um, our partner, our partnering up as such. So I had to wait. He was, I think, seven months. By the, by the time I got to Greece, he was at seven months and I'd missed kind of a very important part of that training but we 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 got in on an international search and rescue advisory group urban search and rescue training program in athens so we were on that for for four months and then again covid kicked back in and the the course was cancelled so we we found our way back to ireland and you know there's there's not much we can do at home for that type of training where we're over regulated um, to get access to any kind of a site that would replicate yeah. a disaster zone yeah. needs huge insurance. So we were basically looking at retiring out of it, actually. And then when this war started, OK, I thought maybe this is a way to put our skills to, yeah. to use. You are formerly of the French Foreign Legion, I'm told. <laughs> now, how, did that, a fellow, how does a fellow from Kish Game end up in the French Foreign Legion? Well, I'm originally from Cove, PJ. I'm just currently living down in Cascade at the moment. So obviously Cove would have had very strong military ties, especially with the Navy, a lot of lads in the Army as well. So I actually tried to join the, the Irish Army and I was told they didn't have what it takes to be a soldier. So kind of that kind of sat in my mind. And one day I came across a book on the Legion and... I think by the end of that week, I had a one-way ticket and I was on my way to Marseille. <laughs> Good for you. You wanted to do it and you went and you did it. Now, there's a GoFundMe set up because this work Correct. that Cooper is doing, this incredible work, is expensive. Yes, it is. I mean, the, even the whole preparation, we, I mean, we done tools and everything we were doing, so we focused for three months on his training. That was pretty much full-time. Um, then we obviously had a glitch on the way over. I had uh, in Italy, my kind of appendix kind of went sideways. So I ended up with, uh, with a month. I had to, I was in for emergency surgery in Hungary. And mm. by the time the recovery was up, you know, we were delayed. I think it was five weeks. So we're back in now again. And I mean, even the, the funds that we have were supporting uh, humanitarian aid projects, reconstruction projects. Mm. Um, you know, this, we're up in the school where they do an awful lot of therapy with the kids and we're using Cooper for therapy with the kids and they love him sure. up there and it's just fantastic to see where, the interaction, you know. so it's, Where are you? Yeah, it's, where, we're what? actually based in Bucha. Bucha, so oh, I've heard a lot area. about Bucha. And, yeah. and what, what can you see around you? I mean, you know, just use your own eyes for a second and just paint a picture for people. We, we, the, the house we're living in is a house, it, it's actually in a forest, just virtually, we're two minutes from the, the city centre or the town centre. Um, this house was occupied by Russian forces, not a lot, lot of damage done to the house and to the, the grounds around it. 
the house next to us is still standing. The one next to that is still standing. Push up further then, its house is fully destroyed. You know, you're talking heavy battle damage. Um, then there's areas with light to medium damage. All the fence lines from the road are ripped with bullet holes. It's like they, they drove through the town just letting rip out whatever weapons they have. So parts of it are totally destroyed. They're they're completely gone. And like I said, you know, you've got another third then with medium battle damage, light yeah. battle damage, yeah. and then some are unscathed. So it's it's kind of surreal to be doing the, the missions we're doing. And then, you know, you're driving down the road and you're getting into the supermarket to get something for your cheat. I know. <laughs> you know, I know. It's, 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 it's a, very, it's very a surreal, surreal situation, isn't it? To me, just, it is. And have is. the Russians moved away now from Butchia or are this? I mean, are you in danger in no, the course of your work? No, no I mean, the, the only danger we're in here is... Uh, like what we've had, we I mean, was it a fortnight ago we had a cruise missile intercepted by Ukrainian Air Force over Bucha. So missiles coming in to Kiev, coming over us. So you've got the air raid signs constantly going on. You know, you've got the air defence ramping up all their capabilities in the area. Um, so the, the civilian population live in constant fear of this death from above, totally random. So, So it's tough for them. It's awful. Listen, you're doing incredible work out there, as is you as is your lad, a, lab, a Labrador, yeah, a Labrador, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, he's a beauty, yeah. actually. I've seen pictures of him. He's an adorable-looking fella. <laughs> yes, he is. He is. As I said, no, you're only doing this interview because he doesn't talk. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say he could probably talk, but he just doesn't show it to us. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Podrick, listen, stay safe out there, fella, and Thanks, and um, keep keep up the great work that you're doing, the difficult, grim work that you're doing of trying to recover bodies that are buried under the war rubble and using his wonderful, wonderful dog, Cooper, to do so. We've posted a link to that GoFundMe if you want to help. Uh, I'm sure it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Podrick. 0818969696. A few responses coming in on the NCT. I'll get to them in a little while. I mentioned... The cost of living uh, protest that was on last night outside City Hall and they were trying to, I think they were trying to get the council to call on the government for a special emergency budget, which even if they had got that vote through, to be fair, it kind of, you know, it would have been a total waste of time because the government have said there will be no emergency budget. That's not going to happen. Um... But it is what it is, and tonight there will be this confidence motion, and it will be, the government will win, the government was always going to win, even the people bringing forward the motion knew the government was always going to win, like I said, I'm too long around this flipping pantomime to know there are no changes in the script, Um, but it is what it is. But, Moraid went down to City Hall last evening, and she was talking to some of the people at the cost of living protest. Everyone's going to feel the pinch, like, everyone's going to feel the pinch because we've all got bills, like, everybody's got bills, like, you know. I'm actually, rang, I rang the energy company this morning and I told them that I'm going to turn off the gas. So, I've, like, I'm prepaid, prepaid gas, so when it comes down to a fiver, I'm going to, I might ring them and ask them to, I don't, I don't need it, you know, because, um, the, the, the gas I have, the rads aren't great anyway, even in the winter. I need I need an electric heater to with the rads in the in the winter, so, you know, I can get by without the gas leak, you know. My name is Rosaline. The price of everything has gone up, and for the winter, 
I might get my gas supply cut off. I'll have to get used to it. You know, woolly jumpers and warm clothes. Um, I'm seriously considering that. It's plainly the case now that we're entering into a very long phase of inflation. I mean, uh, you know, you look at the papers, you listen to the politicians, they're talking two or three years, what the heads of the European Central Bank and so on are saying. And what we're being told by every authority, uh, you know, inverted commas authority, is that it's irresponsible for us to be seeking wage increases. Now, what that effectively means is if inflation is about 10%, they're saying you're going to have to be accepting about a 10% cut in your wages in real terms every year this is going on. People simply can't afford that. I mean, profits are through the roof. Even the, 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 the Vice President of the European Central Bank said that recently, that, you know, keeping wages down isn't the only way of dealing with this. Dealing with, you know, extortionist, extravagant profits is a way of dealing with it too. Um, but nothing has been done about that. You look at the profits being returned by the likes of Tesco, the profits being reported by some of the big energy companies. They're absolutely astronomical. Uh, but we're being told they have to be left alone. They're really important. Whereas you, you have to cut down the amount of food you're having. Or you have to cut down the amount of heating you're having. And, you know, we've got a, something of a heat wave at the moment. That's not going to last. Come November, December, January, we're going to be facing into a real crisis. And what will be happening is the government is going to do what it's been doing all the way along, which is telling us we're not going to give you wage increases, but we'll occasionally now and again throw €100 Euro here and €100 Euro there. That's not on. Some people outside the cost of, or at the cost of living protest outside City Hall last evening and so many of them talking about the cost of gas in particular as we head into the winter. We were talking yesterday about the possibility of gas rationing, talking to Kieran Cuff, uh, MEP uh, for the Green Party on gas rationing. Now, uh, East Cork, Finnegal TD, uh, David Stanton joins me. David, you've called for the, a stop to be put now to the decommissioning of our own gas supplies here because of the, the shortage globally. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it's the Kinsale Head Gas uh, Field Pipeline and the Inch Terminal. As you know, we had gas off the Kinsale, off Kinsale Head there for quite a number of years, but it's gone, it's depleted. But the infrastructure is still in place. And uh, as you've been saying there, there are concerns now about gas rationing. We've already seen the pipeline to Russia being, uh, from to Germany from Russia being cut off. Um, all European countries now are scrambling to get alternative sources. And we have two sources at the moment, PJ. We have one from Corrib, which is supplying around 24, 25% of our needs, and it's depleting quickly. And the other source then is across from the UK, from through a pipeline in Moffat in Scotland. That's bringing all of our gas. And we are totally dependent on that. Now, I've raised this in the doll on many occasions, and I said we should have a, a contingency plan, an alternative um, supply route, if you will. And one way of doing that would be to um, stop decommissioning the pipeline that we have at the moment from the Kinsale Head. Mm. and the inch terminal there just sort of Middleton and have what they call a floating regasification unit that could actually be deployed fairly relatively quickly and that's a large tanker if you will which would be moored at the at the uh, on the pipeline on the motor the pipeline it could then be fed from um from abroad by using LNG. So you bring tankers in from abroad right. and they feed this in here. Uh, the, the, the gas then, which is LNG, uh, heats up and is fed into the pipeline, which already exists, and it will, would supply maybe about 40% of our needs. So uh, what I'm saying is... Look, that's, that's big technology, David. How quickly could you do that? 
It probably would take about a year to 18 months to do. Um, but if we, we need, at the moment what they're doing, the PJs, they're, decomm- they're decommissioning this, they're taking it away. So if this goes, we have nothing. And it could take five years to put a land Now, your, your party's put, uh, in government, David. Um, could you not just hmm. turn around and say stop? I've done that and I'm doing it and and I've 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 raised it in the dollar a number of occasions and I'm I've been motion down again this week whether to be accepted or not no I don't know yeah. I can call it. No I didn't mean that as a kind I, of I personal thing I'm saying like, why can't the government going. just turn around and say stop well, that's what I'm asking them to do, and I'm asking them to acknowledge this and to have a look at it. And they are, in fairness, um, we are engaging on it. And this is changing, as you know, by the hour, by the day. I mean, you know, this, who knows if, if Russia turns off the pipelines completely to Europe, then, you know, it's going to be yeah. an awful lot of pressure on the availability of gas that's there at the moment. Might I mention another word that's almost a dirty word now, but keeps coming up in messages to this programme, Barry Rowe. Hmm. Well, again, you're talking gas there. about there, there, well, there may very well be, but you, you could be talking about quite a number of years before that could be brought ashore. And I think we'd be okay for this year. The impact, the information I'm getting from from the minister and others is that the security of supply with respect to the pipeline through Britain from the moment is okay. But what I'm concerned about is that it's slightly medium to longer term, mm. and that's which, which, which is why we should, should be not be looking at more seriously at. Barry Rowe, and we know there's a climate crisis and we know we have to stop depending on fossil fuels, but we also know that we live in the real world and and we're going to need supplies. Yeah, we, we are talking about this uh, the transition fuel, and that's what LNG is. So we we really need to transition away from fossil fuels. I'm 100% behind that, and the green hydrogen, which I know you've, you've spoken to people about before, PJ, in your mm. program, mm. and 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 wind and solar, uh, biomethane, all those have to be part of the mix. And, you know, there are lots of jobs and benefit our economy sure. massively, but they are five, six, ten years away they before are. they come to fruition. I'm more. We're going to have people sitting in now. jumpers in in six months. Yeah, gee, it'll be like when we, when we were young, PJ, we did that. You know, I remember when I was a child, we... Which we is all the more reason why we would never need to go, never want to go back there. Exactly right. But, you know, needs must sometimes. And we may, we may be, need to face, we are in a world war situation at the moment. Uh, we've got to face that. And this thing could get worse before it gets better. Mm. Are so you suggesting that, that you, would you agree with the possibility that there could well be rationing and that we could end up with... Shortage of fuel in the winter time when we're trying yeah, to heat our homes or water. And a, a number of people have already hinted at that, PJ. We just don't know. I mean, it is. It is. Some, we are in a war situation, and and uh, this is extremely serious. All of Europe is under pressure at the moment. Yeah. We are lucky at the moment in that we have a relatively secure supply coming through market. But if anything happens to that, we well, are in trouble. Not only for not only PJ for cooking and heating, uh, but also for uh, our, a lot of our industry. Yeah. Well, can, I, can I compliment you on one thing? Can I compliment you on one thing, David Stanton, for being a TD, a government TD who's not afraid to, to point out a very harsh reality um, because some of your colleagues have been dancing around this one. Uh, but no, you're saying there is a, we, we just do not know what's going to happen in the winter. Just a message there on the phone to say, the rigs have been decommissioned, all the wells are already filled up there's nothing can be done about it now unless they go back out with drills. 
No, that's not true. The, I'm talking about the pipeline itself, PJ. Okay. The pipeline itself is still intact, as is the inch terminal. The proposal is to fill the pipe the, hit in, into the pipeline with grout to make it unusable. I want that stopped. And I said, look, it's, it's critical infrastructure right now. We Hopefully we might, we might never need it. Yes. But I think we should certainly maintain what's there. Oh. And, and there are companies out there who want, who are talking about this as an alternative. It could happen within 18 months, I think. Uh, anything else that you, you've mentioned earlier on, PJ, could be years away. And literally we will bring enormous tankers to the head yeah. of the of the pipeline and use a process to send that gas back up the pipeline and use it. Exactly. Instead of the gas coming from the, the caverns under the sea as it did previously, it would come from what are called floating storage and regasification units. And they, that, that would be about 50 uh, kilometres off the coast. It wouldn't be seen from the shore. Uh, and that would be, would be moored there more or less permanently and the, the tankers would come from, in right. from abroad. Then, and is, and that, is that a reality in other parts of the world? Does that happen in, in it, other it, places? Yeah, yeah, Germany have leased four FRSU vessels at the moment and commissioning construction of a landing terminal at the northern part of, of, of their country. Mm. And the first of those are expected to receive gas this and, winter. Well, the thing is, um, you know yourself, David, if Germany get thirsty, we're all in trouble. Well, they, they, they very well could get thirsty, but our gas at the moment is, is fairly secure. But I'm just looking into the future. I'm saying we've got to plan ahead for this. Okay. And the first thing to do is to stop the decommissioning of this pipeline and the terminal and then see if we can get an alternative contingency supply. So I hope to raise it in the doll this week. If not, I'll revisit it again in the, in the autumn. All right. Listen, we'll, we'll follow this one with interest. Thank you, David. David Stanton, uh, Finnegan LTD for Cork East. So the gas pipeline, the head and everything else is gone. The gas Kinsale gas field is dried up. We used it all. But the pipe is still there. And the proposal is that we, they'd stuff the pipe, as in just cap it, like a plumber would cap a useless pipe, stuff it, and it just lies there useless. And what Deputy Stanton is saying, look, let's bring this floating supply to the head of the pipeline and let's use that for the moment. Uh, he wants the decommissioning to be stopped. Uh, he's in government, his party's in government. But, you see... No, I won't say it. I won't say it. Other people will think it. I won't say it for now. 0818 96 96 96. You know what I'm thinking, don't you? Ready to go. The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards are back It's time to nominate places and services that are the best in Cork Best in Cork From best beauty salon to breakfast Best takeaway to gym Hairdresser to hotel Best bar to best local tradesperson and more See 96FM.ie now to nominate Then stay listening It's about damn time Woo! The Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12-month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about time. Only on Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Actually, that photograph is up from the web. Uh, it's been tweeted by NASA. It's like now, for all the world, it's like an opening sequence to Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or one of those shows going back along. 
Do you know anyone you'd care to choose that Blake Seven, any one of those the classic sci-fi shows, like they all opened up with images of the stars and it was only a diagram and a drawing and a set but this is real and I'm looking at the picture here in front of me, this is phenomenal and the weird thing is that the people who devised Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and Star Wars and all those wonderful things, they actually knew what they were talking about because it is that picture that I think we might even share it lads that picture from the new telescope, the Webb telescope, it is literally like looking at the opening sequence of any sci-fi movie or any sci-fi television show you care to choose. It really is phenomenal and that the, the, the light on it is they say something like 13 billion years old it's the deepest and the sharpest photograph ever taken of dark and distant space wow even actually even Dr Nile Conroy our public health friend was tweeting this picture in the last few hours everyone's looking wow it's just incredible it's like something like I said like something out of Star Trek or Blake 7 or any program I had to explain to someone the other day what Blake 7 was but there you go 0818 96 96 96. A few more of you calling us about NCT appointments and how long it's taken to get them. I will get back to those. Uh, on the Kinsale gas field is Deputy Stanton suggesting we wear jumpers in the winter. That'll tell you how out of touch they are. Well, he's saying we may actually end up with no choice but to wear extra jumpers in the winter. The prospect of sitting around your Christmas dinner with a hat and, and coat on, it's it's... For some people, that's a reality because they just won't be able to heat their homes. They just won't be able to afford to heat their homes. That's that's where we're headed, and he's just pointing it out as an unfortunate reality. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Want to return to something that we were talking about a few weeks ago on the program, and every time we do raise a topic like periods or something like you know polycystic ovaries or things like that, women's problems as they used to call them, and in my mother's time, but now, you know, um, they get a huge response. And it's it's um, a pleasure to welcome uh, my next guest uh, to the opinion line, Dr. Nitu Bajekal. She's a consultant gynecologist and a doctor of lifestyle medicine, Dr. Nitu, I think is, is fair to say. And you have an enormous website on uh, women's health and women's health issues. Good morning and welcome. Hello, PJ. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be able to talk to you and hopefully your listeners will enjoy what I have to say and learn. Hopefully. And you'll understand that I'm one of the 50% of the population that has absolutely no clue what it's like to live like this. So if I, if I make man type mistakes, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll forgive me. Absolutely. <laughs> We're all learning. And I think, um, you know, people who menstruate, women, um, when I use the word women, I want everybody to understand that uh, it is an umbrella term. It's for anybody who is assigned female at birth. So I don't mean to cause offense. I'm learning to. I've been in this profession for over 35 years as an uh, Obsen Gaini consultant. But, I, you know, we all have to learn and we are all learning. So I, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. A simple question maybe to start, doctor, and it's this. Yes. So, uh, you know. Menstruation, a period, yes. happens to yes. 50% of the population once a month yes. for several decades of their life. And yet, 
it still seems to be a huge burden on people's lives. You'd wonder why we haven't figured out up to now how to just make it a simple procedure that some some people suffer terrible pain, terrible cramps, it, it, it messes up your sleep. Why have we not figured out yet how to make it easier? So I think the answer is very complex, but what I would say in very simple terms is um, women historically have always been um, not considered as important or as uh, important contributors to society, even though we know they are and we know we are. And as a result of that, um, whether it's periods, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's any aspect of reproductive health, although we have a whole speciality dedicated to it, research is actually woefully lacking in many, many, many aspects. And people are not made aware that this is a part of our lives. And in fact, um, two weeks or nine days, uh, if you nine working days are lost every year due to period problems. Mm. Huge studies have shown that. But we don't talk about it because it has been stigmatized. It's, we've been uh, made to feel that it's something dirty, not to be shared, not to be uh, mentioned. And as a result, women often suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. Also, don't forget, over the um, generations, historically, women have not had many periods because, first of all, we didn't live very long. All humans didn't live very long. And once we started periods at around the age of 14 or 15, the age is now dropping, uh, we would either get pregnant uh, and then be nursing and be dead in childbirth if we were unlucky, like most women were. But if we were lucky, we would have 10, 12 children and end up having 10 or 12 periods. Now we have between 350 to 500 menstrual cycles in a year, in a a lifetime, Mm -hmm. depending upon how many children you have and, and, and whether you're on hormonal contraception or not. So that's a huge burden. And if we don't talk about it, which I'm so happy that you are talking about this as the other half of the, um, population that if we don't make people aware of it, women mm. as well as men and all genders are left in the dark. They don't know how their body works. And if you don't know how your body works, how can you be an advocate for mm. when you have painful periods, heavy periods or conditions like endometriosis or chronic pelvic pain? You know, you're just left hoping yeah. that somebody will pick up the diagnosis. One of the things that, that I thought, I guess, um, are perceived is that all of the women around me who are of menstruation age, they are all affected differently. No two women are affected the same, at least not in my circle of those people that I know. Is that what makes it particularly difficult to deal with? Or does it? No, no. I think um, it doesn't make it difficult because everybody's perception is different. I agree. And everybody's tolerance is different. But there are some certain ground rules. If your periods last for more than seven days, if your pain is affecting the quality of your life, then you need to seek help. Uh, And what we are often told is to put up with painful periods. We're told to put up with heavy periods. We're told when you have children, it will get better. We're told that, you know, it is your fault because you've not had a children that you're still having painful periods. So while it may be different for different people, I think what happens is we often convince ourselves that it is normalized. When I talk to my patients, they'll say, we don't want to bring up these issues because we feel the doctors are busy. They don't have time for us. We are often reassured and told it's part of, uh, you know, 
um, the normal reproductive health yeah. uh, spectrum. So that, I think, is more important. I agree that women are different. Uh, and some people will have, depending on their lifestyle, because lifestyle plays a huge role. You know, the more active you are, the the uh, higher amount of plants that you eat, uh, the more uh, less stressed you are, the better you sleep. Of course, all these have huge effects on all aspects of women's health, including uh, periods. But it still means that you can't completely ignore the fact that you know, one in 10 women have conditions like endometriosis where the lining, similar to the lining of your womb that sheds every month, sticks mm. itself outside and can cause chronic pain. And, you know, it takes between, well, 6.7 years is the average, but between seven and eight years before a woman gets a diagnosis. So she keeps repeatedly either going to <laughs> see a health professional's or is sitting at home thinking this is normal. So that's why many of your friends and your friend circle may not be bold enough to come up and, and say that they have issues because they've been told that it's normal for them. I you see. know, I so see. it is important to understand that. Let me go through one or two of the, the, the issues that come up from time to time, Dr. Neetu. Some women would be forced to take days off work. The pain, yes. fainting, nausea. Other women, and I, I use the word, seem to sail through. Why is that? Yeah. So there is a chemical that is released uh, every time the lining sheds uh, and this is known as, these are known as prostaglandins. You will have prostaglandins produced by the rest of your body as well. But prostaglandins are responsible for nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, pain, heaviness of periods. All these symptoms that women will listen to and say, ah, I have some of those. Not everybody will have those. And so again, it depends on your work culture, your school culture. Are you somebody who is able to just, you know, Yes, there will be about, I would say about three out of 10 women in my uh, clinic will actually have no problems. And if you dig deeper, it is because of their, um, you know, lifestyle as well as possibly some of their mental attitude. But what is important to understand is they may be suffering in silence. If you actually spend time with people, mm -hmm. they'll say, I do have this pain, but my work will not give me time off. I'm there at work, but I'm actually not present at work because all I can think about is I've got to slink off to the bathroom to change because I'm going to leak. I've got to slink off to the bathroom to hold my tummy and cry with these cramps, which any other person, you know, if a man was having a heart attack, it's often been compared to you trying cramps. They would be taking days off. So there's a lot of move to actually destigmatizing periods. So I, I think what we have to move away is that, um, yes, some people are very lucky. They have no issues with their periods at all. But as I said, it really depends on how you look at anything. It's the same when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, isn't it? That, you know, some people may appear completely put together when they have that diagnosis and others go to pieces. It is actually understanding that every individual is different, but um, minimizing anybody's symptoms, we would be doing them a big disservice. And, and of course, then they may have conditions like fibroids. I don't know if you've heard of fibroids. Have, These are benign growths. Have, have, we, we did a big yeah. feature on fibroids actually recently. Yes, yes, yes. It's one of my special interests. And one in two women will actually have fibroids, uh, you know, in the general population. And it, and it also depends upon race and a whole lot of other things. That's right. But if your fibroids are located in the um, in, in the cavity, it can cause tremendous flooding. It can you can have cramps. You can 
have pain, endometriosis, chronic mm. pelvic pain. If you've had a sexually transmitted infection and you've been left with pelvic infection, uh, pelvic inflammatory disease, you can be, you know, you can look completely normal from outside whether, when you have all yeah. these conditions, I've, but you're suffering inside. Yeah, yeah I, have a, I have a very dear friend who has had many, many years of agony through endometriosis, so I, I know yes. what you're talking about. Yes. How much of a factor is lifestyle in, in, in period pain and period symptoms? It's, it's, it's a huge factor. It's not the only factor, but lifestyle comes with six pillars. Uh, and, you know, they have a sort of a domino effect. So when you sleep better, so ideally you want to aim for seven to nine hours of good sleep. When you sleep better, your cortisol levels drop, you're less stressed. So stress is another lifestyle uh, factor which really influences how you perceive your pain, how painful your periods are, how you know, the rest of the women's health uh, issues as well, as with any general health. We know stress can increase your risk of heart disease, for example. So sleep is really important. When you don't sleep well, you get stressed. When you uh, get stressed, you don't want to exercise or move your body because we know that being physically active actually helps to wash away these prostaglandins, improves a whole lot of other factors. And when you don't want to exercise, then you reach for the wrong foods uh, or not the wrong foods. I don't like the term <laughs> wrong foods, but, you know, uh, you know, uh, highly uh, processed foods. Yeah. You know, 60 percent of our diet yeah. is composed of ultra processed foods. You, you mentioned, so you you mentioned that, sleep, doctor, but isn't it mm, true as well that, you know, periods mess with your sleep anyway? Yes. Absolutely. So being aware of that and actually being kind to yourself and taking that time out to say, you know what, I'm approaching my period, my progesterone levels are higher at this stage. I know I will feel more sleepy. I will have sleep disturbances. So I need to make some special precautions. I should be avoiding screen time. I should be going to bed a bit early, having a routine. If you're not made aware of these things, what happens is you take it for granted and chronic sleep deprivation has been even seen, especially in night shift workers, for example, increases risk of breast cancer, aggressive breast cancer. So, you know, sleep, stress, the food that you put into your mouth, trying to look for green leafy vegetables, fruits, beans, all these which are anti-inflammatory tend to help to reduce the inflammation. Chronic inflammation is a sort of a building block to many uh, uh, illnesses, including period issues. And studies have been done to show that when sw- people switch from a standard, um, you know, Irish diet or, or a uh, Western diet, as we would say, uh, f- uh, moving away from animal-derived products and ultra-processed foods to eating mm. more plant foods. So eating more color, eating more potatoes with skin and sweet potatoes and herbs and spices. All these studies have shown that actually you can improve your uh, your condition, whether it is endometriosis, whether it's polycystic ovary syndrome, whether it is fibroids. But is it the only answer? Of course not. Yeah. There are people who are going to have very significant disease and medication there should be no medication shaming there should be no surgery shaming you know when you have a diagnosis you may need medication you may need hormonal contraception you may need surgery which you know doctors like me would offer but that does not mean that lifestyle does not play a role and that's important it's not one or the other you know it it used to be said that um a, a woman's period pain would would reduce after she had a child but that yes. was was that an urban myth or does it does it happen no, for some people there is some there is some truth with it uh, to do it's to do with the cervix uh, the neck of the womb the cervix the way the nerve fibers are innervated in that area and stretching of the cervix with the vaginal birth is supposed to be uh, helpful because you know the 
a lot of pain that young women get is known as primary dysmenorrhea, which means that there is no cause for it. They don't, mm. if they don't have backgrounds of fibroid and endometriosis and chronic pelvic disease, then it is because of these prostaglandins that are released and the, the blood has to go through a quite tightly closed neck of the womb. And so you can imagine physically when the cervix dilates, then that can help in some women, not for all, but it can help. So not a complete myth. Most myths tend to have a grain of truth in them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, particularly <laughs> particularly medical ones. In, yes. in terms of mood swings, and, and I guess, you know, as a, as a man, you, you begin yes. to sense that your female colleagues, friends, you know, family yeah. members, you, you begin to sense that it's their time because of yes. certain mood changes. Yes. Um, but some people really struggle with those mood changes. C- yes. Can they take anything? Can they do anything? I mean, you know, people used to be taking e- evening primrose oil. Again, yes. does that do any good? Yes, there are some studies to show that, you know, mood changes that are associated with hormonal fluctuations can benefit from lifestyle changes, can benefit from certain medications. But premenstrual syndrome, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, these are all spectrums. So some people will be seriously affected, so much so that they will have suicidal thoughts. Uh-huh. They may have such you know, it's like postpartum blues. You know, there's a range of symptoms from just feeling a bit low because your hormones are doing all kinds of things uh, versus, you know, actually having to have your baby um, being looked after by somebody else when, you're, when you've just delivered because you've got postpartum psychosis. So you can imagine there's a whole spectrum, but hormone, the way the hormones fluctuate throughout the menstrual cycle can be a real issue for some people. And yes, we would again want to bring in the lifestyle side of things, but again, then we may have to try out different uh, uh, medications that can help and counseling and therapy. These are really necessary for some people. So the message I want to give to all your listeners is if you think your quality of life is affected, whether it's with heavy periods, whether it's with painful periods, whether it's a medical condition, we just wrote a book my daughter and I, on a a condition called polycystic ovary syndrome, people often don't know this. They haven't joined the dots because they feel dismissed by health professionals, not because the health professionals are are not good or they don't want to help you. It's because they're often busy. They haven't themselves thought of the possible diagnosis. Mm. So you as the person who's actually going through a problem, you need to actually empower yourself, learn to be aware of your body, the different parts of your body, how do they work, so you can actually then tell the doctor or the nurse this is what's happening to me, I think I may have this, can I have some help, are there medications, is there stuff, but the stuff that you can do you can learn, you know, stress reduction techniques, you can learn how to sleep better, you can learn how to eat better, those are things in your control, because periods are a vital sign, if you don't have you know, periods that are uh, not affecting the quality of your life, that needs attention. You cannot, you should not be ignoring it and no health professional listening in should be ignoring it. And not because of anything else. These are a big drain. Mm. It's a public health issue. I I had a good friend who had a saying one time, I know my body very well and I listen to it. And if it starts talking differently, I go to the doctor. I thought that was a great piece of life advice. Yes. Nobody knows your body better than you. Not your mother, not your father, not your partner. You know what's wrong with you. But if you're not aware of how the body works, how can you be an advocate for yourself? It doesn't mean that you know best when it comes to treatment, say, for example, of endometriosis. You don't have that 
you know, 35 years of experience, for example, that a specialist like myself may have. But you have the right to question and ask the questions so that you fully understand. Because, you know, without understanding, how are you going to follow through any treatment? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Or mm. any lifestyle advice, you're not going to be able to do that. There is so much more I could cover with you, but our time is <laughs> short. I, I do want to raise a topic, though, that, and I don't know how familiar you'll be with the situation here, Doctor, but it can be very difficult for women to get certain medications at a time of yeah. their period because yes. pharmacists and doctors, pharmacists in particular, are concerned about the consumption of codeine. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I think there's one topic or one product, I think called Feminax, I may be wrong, that has codeine yeah. in it. And pharmacists are, they ask a lot of questions about it. Are yeah. you concerned about people using codeine? Do you recommend it? You know, can you understand why some pharmacists are, are re- reluctant to give it out? Um, I think before people give out medication, of course, the right questions have to be asked. The main drug that works, just like ginger works, is something called a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So your group of ibuprofen, Feminax has that as well, Neurofen, these are uh, medications that are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. They work directly against, remember those chemicals I mentioned, the prostaglandins. Codeine is there to help in some situations. But whatever the medication, no patient or no person should be made to feel uh, minimized or bad about it. But yes, the pharmacists and the doctors have to ask the right questions because you may be allergic to certain medications. Mm -hmm. And you must ask somebody, you know, why are you taking medications through Throughout the month when you should really, if your periods are, you know, lasting for seven days or five days, you should be considering taking treatment just before the day or the mm. first couple of days. If that is such a uh, long time that you're taking, could you actually be having an underlying health condition that really needs addressing? So I have a lot of friends who are pharmacists and I think they do a brilliant job uh, because they often are sort of the gateway to the per- person thinking, mm. oh, actually I may have a condition and off I go to see my doctor. Yeah. But yes, I, I think there is a balance and nobody should act judge and jury. I'm I'm very against that uh, and I, I do want people to know that there is help available and you should never be there will always be empathetic okay. pharmacists health nurses and doctors around and you you deserve it it's your right and lastly you mentioned briefly there more than once you mentioned ginger um 
Yes. Talk to me in one minute about ginger. Can you? I mean, you can presumably you can make some simple thing like ginger tea, which which may help. Yes. Yeah. So ginger has been shown in randomized trials, which is one the best type of tri- study um, in in small groups. They're not huge studies, but they've been shown that. Uh, Taking ginger regularly, especially in the first four days of your period, a third of a teaspoon, not a pinch, if you can imagine, of ginger powder, which you can buy very cheaply from your local supermarket or local shop. You don't have to buy something fancy, even a ginger tablet, but it's more expensive. Three times a day for four days has been shown to be as effective as taking ibuprofen group of drugs because it works in the same principle. And you know that ginger helps with nausea, nausea of chemotherapy, nausea of cancer, vomiting. It helps in pregnancy nausea and it helps in period pain period heavy flow as well as nausea of period so yeah i'm a great advocate you can take it in ginger tea you can grate some ginger you can put it into your food and then you can increase the amount of ginger that you take you know in the lead up to your period and during your period just like you should do with exercise and diet bringing lots of colorful plants making sure that you're eating plant-based as much as possible plant predominant so you're really eating your beans and your whole grains your potatoes your sweet potatoes your fruits your colorful vegetables you know that is what Mm. nature intended us to do and then you bring in the the foods that you know don't bring health bring them in in small amounts you don't need to eat them in huge amounts so i hope i've been able to it it, you know. it it has been wonderful to speak with you, and you. and we may well speak again because I know that my my Absolutely. my listeners are literally clung to their radios listening to this, and the, the number of men fascinated by listening to you is 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 a breakthrough, I think, certainly. Doctor Nitu Bajekal, thank you so happy. much. Thank you. And people can go onto my website, PJ. Uh, you know. NeetuBajekal.com has about 50 different fact sheets, all downloadable, completely free. Feel free to read them and, and use them as needed. All right. Thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, her website is NeetuBajekal.com. It's N-I-T-U-B-A-J-E-K-A-L.com. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. There's an interesting bit of news and we'll be hearing on the programme tomorrow from Dr. Veronicus, the Dr. Dionysius Veronicus, the, the doctor who has been removing vaginal meshes in the US for nearly 20 years. I'm just reading here. This is just breaking news now. A contract to allow patients on the NHS in Britain has been signed to allow NHS parents to visit Dr. Veronicus in the US. This, I assume, would mean that his treatment might be available on the NHS. That if you travel to see him, and like Pat yesterday, remember Pat was telling us her story, she went to see him, and also Mandy last week, how she went to see him and his surgery, his skills changed their lives. It looks now as if the NHS, it says national services in Scotland here, are going to put a deal together to allow people to go and visit Dr. Veronicus in the United States. That, that's big news. That's big news. Every part of the UK NHS can make its own decisions um, but they tend to kind of always move in the same direction, which kind of means if Scotland goes first, if Scotland agrees first to 
uh, do an NHS deal with Dr. Veronicus, then Wales may follow, England may follow, Northern Ireland may follow. It's not guaranteed, but, but they do rather a lot. That's, and we, as I said, we'll hear from Dr. Veronicus on the show tomorrow. Uh, just getting back to NCT, uh, I got, I, my NCT was due in February 22. I booked it the first week of January. Got an appointment for May 30th. Thankfully, it passed, but the state of our roads could have left me in a failing position in May after forking out a fortune for my suspension to get fixed back in January. I booked mine, which is due in August, says Alice. I got November in Blarney. I rang Alice Street Garda Station and was told by a guard there they recognise there is a backlog, and if you keep the printout of your appointment in the car then you should be okay, which is what we were saying earlier on. But if you're picked up on the recognition camera, you could be in trouble. I applied for my NCC PJ on 5th May, about six weeks before it was due. The earliest I could get was the 22nd of September in Blarney. That's from Tom in Ballinlock. NCT due August, and no appointments available until November. I wanted and on the priority list and also rang them and I had an appointment in two or three days for next week. So maybe ring and get a priority cancellation. Councillor Mick Nugent, uh, if you put in for a priority booking, you'll get a faster date. Got an NCT appointment for 1st of December for my first NCT. It's due at the end of July. Crikey. Mick, I, NCT due the end of May. Got an appointment at the end of October. Good God. Just rang Blarney directly and got a test for Saturday. Okay. Looks like we're in for a desperately tough winter. Uh, weather apart, we'll be short of gas, uh, we'll be short of petrol and diesel if things keep going on. They'll be ridiculously expensive if things keep going the way they are. Home heating oil is double what it was and shows no sign of going down in price. And now I read that we could also have a food crisis in the winter. Uh, because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and also because of the extreme weather. I'm joined by Andy Doyle, who's the tillage editor with the Irish Farmers Journal. Andy, good morning. How close are we to food shortages in wintertime? PJ, that's a difficult question to answer, to be to be honest. it's It's a challenge. What's happening is that Exports of grain and, you know, Ukraine in particular, the country that's been invaded, has been an important uh, supplier of grain to world market. And grain is the starting point for so many foods in the world. Yeah. Um, when, when, they, when they were not able to export anymore, and part of that was their own decision, and of course part of it was the Russians' decision. Uh, but basically, we started to see food prices rise, particularly starting with grains, the kind of the, the basic ones that are traded on a daily basis. And as they started to rise, we saw lots of countries around the world beginning to put up their own barriers to the movement, uh, particularly the movement outwards of grains or foodstuffs, uh, just in case they would run short, and also to try and insulate themselves against the rising prices that were happening all over the world. So... We, we probably don't know whether it's a real scarcity that's coming or whether it's actually going to be a scarcity that's dominated by lack of trade rather than lack of availability. And uh, We do know, of course, PJ, just to, to, to state something for a fact, we do know Ukraine 
will have less grain this harvest for, for all the very obvious reasons. And we also know that what they do have will be much less available to the world. Yeah. So the people who depended on Ukraine for grain, particularly wheat for, for bread, for example, you know, that source of supply basically isn't there now. And there are new uh, demand points coming around the world, which is adding to the problem of the perceived scarcity. And given the uncertainty that you've outlined as to what exactly might happen, uncertainty makes it harder to plan, does it not? Absolutely. In, in every sense of the word, it makes it more difficult. Like one, of the, one of the big problems at the moment is that the, an estimated 19 million tonnes, I think, of grain had not come out of Ukraine from, following last harvest. That's now sitting in stores that should be used for this year's harvest. Mm-hmm. Now, while this year's harvest will be lower, there is a real dilemma as to where it's going to be stored. And the great fear and uncertainty that that might be lost if there isn't an adequate storage uh, space to put it into. So one thing kind of perpetuates the other as we go. And pardon my ignorant city boy question here, Andy, but grain in storage, I assume it has a certain shelf life before it starts to get useless. Almost no is the answer to that, okay. uh, EJ. Of course, it can go off in store, but it also can, if it is properly conditioned going into store, and if it can be maintained by putting air through it in store, it can have quite a long shelf okay. life. It's okay. not uncommon that grain would be in store for three, four, or five years, uh, but it's not to be recommended if it can sure. be avoided. And of course, being in store is one thing. The risk of somebody putting some kind of a missile or a shell through your store yeah. and, and causing it to be destroyed is a different uh, risk completely and it's quite real, unfortunately, for the poor people there. The simple question, I guess, that families listening to our conversation are, are asking in their heads and possibly, Andy, you can't answer this. Possibly you can. I'm thinking of families with a few children that go through a couple of sliced pans a week. Um, is the price of the family sliced pan headed for the roof because of this? PJ, um, the quick answer should be no. And the reason that I'm saying that is that we did, of course, see this massive escalation in grain prices. Uh, I I might say, as a participant in the grain industry, I might say price levels that bordered on stupidity. Uh, But we've seen a very significant fall in those prices in recent times and even today I'm looking at the, the markets around the world today and they continue to fall. So we're looking at, at the moment at prices uh, for harvest that are oh ballpark 100 euro tons maybe more than last year but, but they were more than 200 euros a ton more than last year. So they're back to a level that okay. makes a, a degree of sense but the problem that the grower has no matter where in the world he is He's had to suffer this massive escalation in input costs, particularly for fertilizer, okay. diesel. The things that they depend on are all gone up massively in price. Okay, okay. I'll leave it there, Andy. We may talk again. It's the uncertainty, I think, that is worrying most people about what is going to happen um, with the winter time. 
But thank you. That's uh, Andy Doyle, tillage editor of the Irish Farmers Journal. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Neve Regan is a critically acclaimed songwriter from County Galway as she returns to Cork this month to perform at Sea Church Ballycotton with the show taking place on Sunday, July 17th. Access all areas. The Cork Proms comprises three successive concerts featuring the celebrated Cork Opera House Concert Orchestra and a host of national and international guests. They'll be playing the music of Beethoven, the Beatles and Broadway from the 11th to 18th of August with more information and tickets at corkoperahouse.ie Access All Areas You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas With Harvey Norman and JBL Your specialists in sound this summer On Cork's 96FM Do you know when I was a small fella We'd go off to the seaside For our holidays We used to go to Ballyhaig Or we'd go to Barney Cove <clears throat> Or we'd go to East Down maybe Gary Vaux Although there wasn't so much of it down there But certainly if you were in Barney Cove Or in, in Ballyhaig and Kerry uh, or Bally Bunyan, the one thing we'd love to do as young fellas, I mean love to do it, was get up onto a sand dune and slide down it. And we'd run like lunatics up the sand dune and slide down it. And then we would dig tunnels and caves and craters in the sand dune and we'd hide in them. And we'd be hours and hours and hours inside. It was great, such great. I'm talking about being what, being 10, 12 and 14. It... Kind of looks now as if we weren't doing the sand dunes any favours at all. Uh, and that that kind of activity is something we need to discourage. And back then we didn't know any better, I suppose. David Mellis is Regional Coordinator at Climate Action Regional Office and Martha Farrell is Chair of the Maharese Conservation Association. Martha, I'll start, I'll start with you, uh, if you don't mind. What we were doing as kids... Harmless fun for us, but not so harmless for the dunes. We didn't know that then. We know it now. Good morning. Morning, CJ. Thanks so much for having us on. Uh, you're right, and I suppose we we were uh, just like you. We didn't we didn't realise the impacts of of climbing or scaling a four dune when we were young either. Um, the, and you know the four dunes are those seaward facing dunes they do the heavy lifting in terms of taking the impact of Atlantic storm surges and they're protecting all the life, communities, roads houses and other infrastructure behind them and the vegetation that grows on them like marimagrass that's what makes them strong yeah. winter storms will come and erode the sand from the base of the dunes the sand is carried offshore and during the summer, that sand is then washed back up on shore and the vegetation on the dune does a great job in trapping it and binding it. Yeah. The roots are long and it, it really binds the dune and it replenishes uh, and grows the dune. But that we didn't know until 2016 how fragile that grass is. And a research botanist from the, the National Parks and Wildlife Service told us, if you walk on it 10 times, it dies and then that sand is released. Mm-hmm. And so a strong dune is a vegetated dune and if you're walking up a dune you're killing the vegetation. And the other I suppose, you know, lis- listening to you know, your your memories of your youth there in the opening uh, piece uh, you know, p- people digging holes on a four dune is incredibly dangerous because 
the storms really de- destabilize sand dunes and they can collapse on top that's of right. you. So I that's know. definitely something we would really discourage. Yeah, I think to be fair, that got stopped fairly lively. If anyone, the locals saw you at it, it didn't yeah. stop us. It didn't stop us trying. <laughs> I'll bring in David Mellet at this point. David, our, our knowledge of sand dunes has changed. The marram grass in particular, that is, if I'm right, that, that spiky grass, that thick, spiky, very lush grass, that goes down for feet, metres even, doesn't it? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, um, it does. Uh, well, I suppose it serves two purposes, as, as Martha has outlined. As dunes are initially formed, that the windblown sand gets captured by obstacles that are on the beach, like driftwood or fencing or rocks and what 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 happens then is the vegetation like marm grass starts to to grow on it and and the the long grass itself catches the sand slows down the sand so it kind of drops but the roots of that marm grass and other vegetation kind of bind it together it's kind of like um if you're familiar with the reinforced concrete and the steel within yeah. that yeah yeah so 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 that kind of captures the sand and as the the dune matures um additional and different vegetation kind of takes over so uh, it, it it further solidifies the sand. So as Martha said, the, the campaign we're running over the summer and what the group in, in, in the Maries have been doing is to, is to raise awareness of firstly the value of these dune systems, uh, particularly with the impacts of climate change we're looking at, what they can do to support the coastal communities. But secondly, even though they are robust in that coastal environment, they are quite vulnerable to our trampling um, and we're just asking people to you know stay off the dunes particularly those those vulnerable ones stay to to the marked tracks yes. and, and follow the local signage there, there are mar- marked tracks in, in many of them and Martha you made the point that the vegetated dune is the healthy dune so mm-hmm. and when you walk on the vegetation and it can be very soft underfoot and it can be very nice to walk on you're actually damaging the dune so stick to the path stick to the path and camp on sustainable campsites and drive uh, onto designated car parks, not on a sand dune. Um, And I suppose there are key messages because really um, our behaviour matters. Human behaviour can help or hinder a dune in post-storm recovery. And if you want to leave a positive impact, then you know the behaviour to to, um, actually exercise. Like David, what what I mean, they look quite fragile. When you the fore dune as you call it. Like in the wind the sand whips up and when you try to walk up it as we did, it was soft and dry and you sank into it. It looks very fragile, but, but it isn't, is it? It it's not in the natural environment itself and it, like the, the whole coastal area is quite dynamic. The sand is continually moving along along that coastal cell. Um, and, and the marm grass and the vegetation does a fantastic job of holding that sand grass within that coastal cell or that coastal area. What happens then, you know, if that vegetation is damaged and the sand is blown away, blown off the beach, it's lost from that coastal cell and it can only be replaced by um, our intervention, which is very expensive and, and rarely done in this country. Now, other countries like Netherlands do replenish the sand at the beaches. So, it, it, like, it, it's important that, that that is understood that they are vulnerable and that vegetation does do an important job. If that vegetation is gone, that sand is gone, that dune is gone, 
and that natural protection for the coastal communities is gone. And that natural protection will be increasingly more important as we see sea levels rise, coastal erosion becoming more more of an issue and coastal storms to help and protect those coastal communities from, from flooding and erosion. Back to you finally, Marta, because Maharese has some of the most beautiful sand dunes in the whole country. So if people are, and we've got some gorgeous weather coming, if people are visiting the area, what would you ask them to do? I mean, I would firstly say from our own experience of using nature-based solutions to regenerate and restore dunes is they can be strengthened, they can be restored. And we have had our visitors, and many of them from Cork, come and help us in doing all that, and we're delighted with that cooperation. Um, I would say plan ahead, book in advance. If you want to come and camp, get into a campsite, you know, look for sustainable alternatives, stick to the path, and learn about the amazing environment. So we've just launched a mobile app for a self-guided audio tour of our amazing Maharese Heritage Trail was funded by the Heritage Council and we've up to 20 biodiversity and heritage-based events for our visitors to enjoy which were funded by the Kerry County Council Community Sport Fund and so invest in the place that you're visiting. Dunes are havens for wildlife. They have the most beautiful yeah. wildflowers and yeah. So exciting to be explored this summer, I think. And little creatures and birds as well. If you just sit and watch them, they're fascinating. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> All right. Thank you both. Martha Farrell, Chair of the Maharese Conservation Association, and David Mellet, Regional Coordinator at the Climate Action Regional Office. Don't be dancing on the sand dunes. Don't be digging them out. Look at them. Walk on the pathways. Wonder at them. The things we did when we were kids, we weren't doing, we, we didn't know any better at the time. We do now. And when you know better, well, you, you kind of do better, don't you? You should anyway. KCN Ross in the morning. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. On Cork's 96 FM. Good morning, Tommy Tiernan. There, there has to be a book in you, Tom. Like, there really does. Back in the late 1990s, I had an idea for a novel on the way to a meeting with the publishers. And I don't know if they've ever said this to anybody else before. They said it was unpublishable. Wow. So I know that my, my gift really is not in... Like even when I was a kid, I would often go into school with all my homework in my mouth. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, really nice uh, late afternoon and early evening in prospect, according to the uh, Dark Sky Weather app, telling me that, that what's out there now will clear. And while it would be overcast, there'd be no long stretches of blue sky sunshine. It'll be very warm and very pleasant this evening, which is good. And it just gets better then for the week. And some really hot stuff coming in around and after the weekend. Good morning to you again. 0818 96 96 96. Um, now, we got this. Um, and I I know where it is, obviously. Uh, where Jack Lynch's grave is. I was I was at his funeral 
um, covered his funeral as a reporter when it happened. We got a call from someone who said, I'm in St. Finbar's Cemetery about every two weeks. I see wreaths on all the Republican graves, but I never see a wreath on Jack Lynch's grave. You would think that as a major national figure, and especially significant local political figure, that Fianna Fáil at a national and or local level would organise for there always to be wreaths put there, just like the people do for the Republican dead. In the end, I decided to place some flowers there myself. With all of the Fianna Fáil councillors and TDs, would they not lay a wreath on their own? Um, yeah. Uh, with regard to Jack Lynch, it's just symptomatic of the way so many don't even visit their parents' graves now. My enlarged respect for the resting place of the dead is on the decline. That is an interesting one. But there's always wreaths or a few flowers in springtime, a few dafts, whatever, on the graves at the Republican plot out there in, in Finbar's. But now that I think of it, now that it dawns on me and the old head starts to click a bit, I don't think I've seen flowers on Jack's grave in, 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 in a long, long time. And that's kind of sad, given that the man was a, a giant... You can think what you like of him and think what you like of Fianna Fáil or anything like that, but Jack Lynch was a political giant. Uh, that's sad. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. There's a few more things have come in on the NCT and a few responses to the discussion on periods with Dr. Neetu. I'll get to all of those, but the Two Nurries podcast is up now to, I think it's 130-something episodes. And uh, my good pal... Jessica Nivellon features on the latest one and I must sit down and either watch or listen to it over the the next couple of days. Uh, I know I'm going to need some time for that particular one because they had a very detailed chat. But uh, breaking ground again uh, are the two Naris headed into the prisons. Now, I, I don't think there's ever been a podcast recorded in a prison with serving Prisoners, And I know from going into prisons myself over the years on various news stories, and only recently we went up to the pop-up restaurant at Cork Prison and we got to talk to some, some young prisoners. But look, they were all prepared for us and it was just very, we were very limited in what we could ask them. And, and that's okay, that's okay. But we, we, we got to, ta- to talk to them. But the two Norries are going into the prisons now uh, you have done it, James, uh, and they're ready for, for for use, or you're in the process of doing it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, so we we have recorded three podcasts. We actually recorded four, but one of them we would we would use because the guest was kind of inappropriate, you know. So okay. Um, okay. We're, all, we're all about trying to uh, protect the guests, no matter who they are. So we did three. We did one in Cork Prison with a traveller from Sligo, and we did one in Limerick Prison with a lady from Waterford and one in Mountjoy with a dub. And um, Linrowan has done a podcast series in Wheatfield there a few months ago with Dave Fanning and, and another few people. But I think it's the first in terms of having prisoners actually go in and, and do something like that. And we had to showcase some of the 
I suppose, to explain some of the backstories of these prisoners. So then you begin to kind of understand that maybe it's not so black and white that the bad people are on the inside and the good people are on the outside, that there's nuances in that. Um, not not uh, evolving, devolving them from any, you know, blame they committed crimes there in prison, but to just understand the backstory. And more importantly then, it's for the other prisoners that's watching, other people on the outside that's watching, to understand that this is how bad their life was, but they're after turning it around, they're in the process of turning around, and this is what they're doing, you know, so that's mm. the inspirational piece then. It's it's very personal and, and reflective, I guess, for you both, for yourself and Timmy. Yeah, it was weird for us to go into the prisons, because especially cop prisons, the officers, you know, and they, no, they were all very polite and that, like, but it's just a bit surreal that you're all, and then I know a few of the prisoners as well, um, you know, it's weird and, you know, like you can walk back out, you know, it's it's a yeah. different, and then we went, in, we went into Limerick Prison, then we were treated really well and we got the best of biscuits, they pulled out all the fancy biscuits, the Viscounts and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are they done? I mean, watching the podcast, it's quite in depth. I mean, you've you've no problem, as it were, going there on any particular topic of conversation. So, do you get into into depth with your three prisoner guests? We do, and the reason why we can get into depth and why we can have these conversations and ask tough questions because there's a trust there because these prisoners are actually accessing our podcast while they're in prison. So that's the beauty of what we're doing is that people can access it no matter where they are, even if they are in prison. So by the time we go in and record with them, they have a good feel for who we are. They know what's coming. They know what's expected of them and our, their role in it. So and the fact that we've come from similar backgrounds, they know there's no judgment, so they can be a bit more open and honest with us, you know. Now, it, it, because myself and Timmy and Rowan, like, we're working men and we have families and stuff like that, it's difficult to get the time to do them. So, like, going to Dublin and we lack resources and stuff like that. So, we've done three, but we've plans to go around to a few more different prisons in yeah. time, once you know, resources and time allows us, you know. Because you've got to bring, like, you've got a very tasty little setup that you use yourself week to week but of course you can't bring a prisoner out to that so you've got to go into yeah. the, and, and set up set up a studio inside and that and were they conducted were they just one on one between yourself and the and the guest or was there an audience at them or what in the first one we did in Limerick Prison, there was the governor was there for some of it. There was the Irish Prison Service press officer. Then in the in the car prison, the Irish Prison press officer was there. But then in the third one, it was just me, Timmy, Rowan, and the prisoner. So we've built a good trust and relationship with Irish Prison Service, the governors and the press officers, they know that we're not going to try and get anything sensational yeah. or dramatic. It's going to be in the benefits of the prisons, the prisoners and people watching, you know. So we have that trust, which means we're invited back to, I suppose we can go where we want no terms of prisons. Yeah. Um, and it's great because it's, it's something new. Like, you don't get to hear these stories, do you know what I mean? Like, you, you, like uh, 96 FM can go in but you can only have to ask them certain things about right. certain topics that's right we, and you know we we're, we're perfectly access. okay with that you know for, for the, the pop-up restaurant we were told we were told here's the guys you're going to talk to here are the things you can talk to them about nothing else we said that's fine we just want to hear their voices that's fine but but you I, you have to build up that trust like you said and I guess the first time or second time the, the press officer and maybe the governors are sitting there kind of going alright what are they going to ask them now like 
Yeah, I know, I know, and you know what? The only thing, and we didn't have to be told this, but the only thing we said to the press officers, the governors, and the prisoners, we don't want to know any details about specific crimes because we're very sensitive that there could be victims in the community. Yes, and you know, so it's 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 when you hear the backstory and the lifestyle, that is an explanation in itself as to why you're in prison. We don't need to go into the nitty gritty details of yes. what happened. Yes, and then it's about explaining to us what's it like in prison on a day to day because that's interesting for people. What, what do you do when you get up what do you pass today what's the support you're accessing and then what are you doing now helping prisoners some of them were involved in the Samaritans the traveller guy is involved in the traveller mediation service so he mediates in the prisons amongst traveller feuds which is brilliant then there's other they're involved in Red Cross and they're um, you know violence uh, reduction and all these anger management classes they're teaching other prisoners so it's brilliant mm. Do you know what I noticed as well that day up in Cork Prison they brought us through the woodwork and, and the skills rooms. And, and I was thinking mm. to myself, the talent and the ability and the skills that, that are learnt while you're in prison, like, that's an opportunity to, to, to rebuild your life. And, and the people you're talking to, you've talked to, James, it's rebuild they want to do. Exactly. But the sad thing, PJ, is that sometimes people have to go to prison to access and it's only there that they can nurture their abilities yes. like we did a we did a podcast with Michael's traveller from Sligo he's done a, a big sentence for a violent crime but they, he spoke about his experience in school and the racism like overt racism towards him from the teachers at the age of 12 and 13 and he, and he ended up leaving school or getting thrown out of school like that young fella had no hope you know, and when he went into prison, then he did his junior sort, his leaving sort. He got the Gold Gashka Award, which was a three-year endeavour, and he was presented by President Higgins. And it's sad to think, like, this guy had to come to prison to, to access yes. equal, equal education. Uh, and that's a big problem, PJ, you know? Yes, yes, and people rebuild their lives, and that's what prison... Yeah. Is, is it supposed to be about you know it's it's yeah like you you've you've you and, and Timmy both have your own experience and and you've gone on to to do what you do now um so when are these being run when can we see them well they they're all on Spotify Apple Podcasts at the moment and the Waterford lady we did in Limerick Prison is on YouTube at the moment and on Saturday there'll be the traveller guy Michael and following Saturday then there'll be the Dublin guy from um, Mount Joy and uh, Geraldine who we did from Waterford sang us a beautiful song at the end and the Paddy from Mount Joy he sang two songs at the end of his guitar that he wrote himself and, and he was very very talented beautiful lyrics and great voice so nice little touches you know? yeah do you know what I wanted to raise with you and I had an opportunity um, I had the great Chris Luke in here in, in June marking 40 mm. years in, in medicine and, and Chris has a saying and it's throughout his book and he's used it throughout his practice as a doctor and I wanted to put it to you he says difficulty makes people difficult what would you think of that James? It's true and you know what's another saying that's along the lines of that hurt people hurt people Wow. And when you think about when you think about the people that are in prison they've committed crimes where they've hurt people 
But, you know, for the most part, they're very hurt people themselves. And that's just, like, if we can understand that, then we can leave the judgments to the judges and then we can all heal together and move on, you know, and, and have more understanding. And that's what we're trying to do. And we had Chris Luke on the podcast and the, the reason we had him on is that he's a very empathetic man and mm. he's got a great understanding as to addiction because he's worked in the midst of it, you know, during the that's heroin right. epidemic in Edinburgh and Dublin right. and that, you know, so... And a good book as well. Super book, super book. Listen, guys, I'm looking forward to watching these. Um, did you ever think when you sat, got this notion 130-something episodes ago that you'd be f- selling out the Opera House and you'd be brought into prisons? Did you ever think that? No, and recently we had a great milestone because we were we received an award at the Justice Media Awards in the Law Society of Ireland. And yeah, which was amazing. And up there, there was 96FM, the Irish Examiner, and all these you know, prestigious uh, organisations. Um, um, we, we didn't come home empty-handed, so that was a huge milestone for us. And it was the first time we've ever been referred to as journalists because the president of the Law Society said the podcast we did with Darren Romani was a fantastic piece of journalism. So that was a new one. It is a new one. Timmy, <laughs> or James, rather, and give my best to Timmy. I know he's on holidays at the moment. Yeah. Um, lads, I, I'm I'm still waiting on the phone call, but anyway. <laughs> In early autumn, we're, we're tied up till uh, the summer. Early autumn, Listen, lads, congratulations! <laughs> everything you do, everything you do, is just absolutely brilliant. It's uh, James, James Leonard uh, of the the two Norries. They're brilliant episodes. They would be fabulous to watch. They interviewed three prisoners about life in prison and what they hope to do afterwards. Groundbreaking stuff. Thanks, lads. 0818 96 96 96. Let me continue with the NCT stuff because it is still coming in. Um, my NCT was due in August. When I went online, the earliest I could get was November. I filled out the priority form and got a test for July. Strangest thing was that I went down to the NCT centre. My car was the only one there to get tested at the time. And when I was leaving, there was only three cars. Yeah. Uh, my NCT was due February 22. I booked in first week of Jan, got an appointment May 30th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's just, it's mad, 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 bad, mad. 0818 96, 96, 96. Did you know how many calories you could consume at a barbecue? I have to get to the bottom of this. There's a study out that says we can consume 3,000 calories at a barbecue. What? This I have to find out more about. When we're enjoying Elton John in Dua Lipa, are you getting a cold heart? Has our love for Dermot Kennedy made you hope better tunes are coming? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100-euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. See 96fm.ie. Courts 96fm. Yeah, so a study shows that we can consume up to 3,000 calories in one sitting at a barbecue. Like, what on earth would you be eating? Like, it says here, this is according to the Irish Daily Mail, a burger and a bun with cheese, two hot dogs two chicken drumsticks and a corn on the cob with all the sauces, salads 
and alcohol really rocks up the calories. Jack O'Keefe, uh, Ireland AM TV chef. Jack, I'm I'm, I'm shocked well, and horrified. I I, I I like meat off the barbecue. I always thought it was reasonably healthy. Is it the sauce and the salad and the buns and the gunk that are causing the just, problems? Just listen to what you said there. I'd say the main contributor, the, the main bad guy to all of that calorie, all those calories adding up fairly quick isn't the meat. It's the bread. <laughs> it's the sauces. Those barbecue condiments, yeah. like the barbecue sauces that you buy in the supermarket, they're great, they're delicious, and there's some phenomenal Irish producers out there to produce great ones. But my God, go handy on them. <laughs> yeah. They're sugar-based. They're ketchup, tomato-based. There's tons of sugar in it. And that's what drives up the calories straight away. And then obviously, you know, they're trying to stop us from eating bread, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, you try, and, try. I mean, like, no, I, I generally don't bother with a bun on the burger. It's, it's my one sort of, you know, concession to, to minding myself. But then, you know, I like my chicken drumsticks and I like all those things. But they're definitely the like bread, the bread and the sauces are the problem. You sound like myself, into the chipper, extra large kebab meal, but I'll get a Diet Coke with that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the beer does, lo- the, the beer loads it up as well, doesn't it? It does, look. And your beer, empty calories. Look, I'm a big juicy young fella. Like, <laughs> I eat a lot. Like, the father actually texted me when he found out I was coming on. He goes, you're some man to talk about a healthy barbecue, huh? He calls me Tree Steak Johnny because one morning before a wedding, I, he came out of the bedroom and to see me in the kitchen eating three steaks and a bag of brown rice and a half a head of broccoli before a wedding at nine o'clock in the morning. I was like, I'm just filling myself up for the day. Fueling that that sounds now a bit like a scene out of the Unbelievables, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Three steaks for your breakfast. I had a long You're going wrestling buffaloes or something, were you? <laughs> wrestling pints, creamy pints. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Vaughan didn't know what hit it that day. I know, uh, I know. Here, on the barbecue, right? Yeah. Back to the serious conversation. Look, yeah. the the whole thing about we go as Irish people, we only get a, a day of sunshine once a year. Look, it's over already. I'm up here in Dublin and it's cloudy. Even the seagulls are gone. Nah, I'm off to I'm off to the Isle of Wight. But like we get one year, so it's almost like this explosion of creativity in people's heads. You get into the car, you're driving home, you're ringing, you're ringing the husband or the missus or whoever, you're like going, it's sunny, we're lighting the barbecue, what am I going to get? And they go into the shop and they just get everything. That's and right. it's all the trays of the pre-marinated meat, you know, already covered in the marinated sauces. Yes. Nothing wrong with it, perfectly fine. But the sauces are all full of sugar. Full of sugar. And you know what the worst thing for a barbecue is? Sugary sauces. Because... Sugar, once it hits a high heat, will just burn. And that's why everything at a normal barbecue looks like it's been shoved up a chimney. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just guess, go into your butcher shop or go into your local supermarket, your local delicacy, whatever you have nearby, and just get real meat. And get one piece of meat. Look, <laughs> let's not go down a green party route here and start talking about how we're destroying the planet with the amount of meat we consume. Blah, 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 whatever. Just... Eat, get one piece of really good quality meat mm. from a local supermarket, local butcher shop, and treat that meat with the respect that it deserves. Yeah. And that's it. And as well, your health will, will be better for it. Not only will the world be better for it, the local economy will be better for it, your local farmer will be better for it, mm. but also your gut will be better for it. Like on Saturday night now, and I'm not messing, I just went into a local supermarket, one of your German discount chains, let's mm. say, I won't name which one, uh, I just got a rib of beef on the bone. You know the roasting giant that they do? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they often have it on a special deal. Really good black Angus from County Tipperary. 
And it was just for a few friends, five or six of us coming over. And it was 1.2 kilos of beef, okay, on the bone. Mm. All I did with that was I opened the packet, seasoned it with some Malden sea salt all round, or you can use your Irish Atlantic sea salt. Let it sit at room temperature, away from the dog and the cat so they can't get to it. Open, obviously, from its packaging on the countertop. And I left it there for about a half an hour to 45 minutes mm. while I ate the barbecue. And I lit my barbecue, and I came out with my steak, my big lump of meat, sat it over over the coals for two minutes on each side. So two minutes, two minutes, and then moved and then did all the ways around the edges until it was nice and brown. Moved it to the side of the barbecue, away from all that direction. Yes. And just let it cook. Just let it cook nice and gentle. Your pal, your pal John Relihan, um, that's his name, he, he does an awful lot of... He gave me that tip. He was on with me before. When you've heated up the barbecue, shove the coal over to one side. And oh, cook, he's dead right. And do you know what? Cook the meat on the other side. Together. It's the be- it's the best method um, for uh, for cooking. That it's called indirect barbecuing. Yeah, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And just move it over to the side. And what you can also do is, if you're just using charcoal or or charcoal briquettes or whatever you have, put a little bit of oak in it, a little bit of oak kindling, mm. let it catch fire. And once the f- flames have died off and you have a nice white heat then throw your wood in, you get that lovely smoky flavour. And as the meat is cooking slowly, I just have a little saucepan of extra virgin olive oil that I've crumbled up some garlic cloves and a bit of rosemary into. And I actually just baste the meat every now and then a little yeah. bit of that oil. And I'm not talking spooning it over. I actually just make, and this is a John Relison actually, <laughs> that I've robbed from him. Um, I make a herb brush, some ro- a handful of rosemary, thyme and sage, and I just dip it into the olive oil and just brush it on. And then all we had was a new season, potato salad just potatoes gently boiled that we picked up from a roadside with the fellas who sell the strawberries as well yeah. picked them up washed them with the hose outside put them into a pot boiled them till they were soft no, you're through. No, cut them in half and I diced up a lot of gherkins mixed it through some fresh parsley and that's it that was it and loads of cracked black pepper and sea salt no, you're talking. and then we just had some tinder stem broccoli just grilled over the charcoals while the beef was resting and it was perfect mm. and look it's and as I said, it's moderation and it's promoting really good Irish quality meat as well. Steaks, um, Jack, people ask you, which is the best one? Do you go for a T-bone? Do you go for a, a sirloin? Do you go for, what, what's the best one? I'd say the one you can afford. No. There you have it. It is the one you afford. And the beauty about cheap meat, it's generally the tastiest. Because the tougher the meat, the fatter the meat, the cheaper it is, but also the more flavour it has. Mm. So you can see in France, they, they would use the, what we'd refer to as the poverty cuts more. Because it shows off the chef or the cook's skill more. Yeah. Now, if you have, if you want to go right in the middle, I'd say ribeye is your best bet. Right. Just your normal home barbecue because it has a load of fat in it. That's right. That fat equals flavour. But again, just be mod- be don't, don't do a me on it and sit down and eat three steaks in one sitting. No. You're going to suffer for the rest of the night. You know, and there's nothing wrong with an old spatchcock piece of chicken as well. That's nice. Get your get a nice free range Irish chicken. Turn it over onto its breast, have its back facing up at you, and get a scissors and just cut straight down the spine and crack it out open. And then just season it with salt and pepper and pop it into the barbecue. And it's absolutely phenomenal. And then everyone gets their favourite cut. They can get you can go for lean breast or you can go for fatty ties and drugs. What what I love in particular, um, and you you gotta go into a butcher to get it, is a really good thick pork steak done slowly on a barbecue. It's phenomenal. I love a pork T bone if you've ever had one. I've never had the pleasure. Oh, it, and that's the word for it. It's a pleasure. It's an uh, oh, there's a butcher shops up here that that does it, and he leaves the rind on it and everything, and he yeah. just takes the full pork line. He cuts it just like a, a T bone, 
and he keeps it about two an inch to an inch and a half thick. Right. So it really needs a good bit of cooking on it. When all that crackling on the edge, just covering the fat, oh, just gets really crispy. I can crispy. smell it, Jack. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the advice is the meat isn't really the problem. It's what you're putting on it and what you're putting it onto. Bread, sauces, sugar-based stuff. Just have the meat, make your own salads, and away with you. I, in my notes written across my A4 page here in front of me, I have balance, right? The, the new modern trend with healthy eating is, is balance, is one, it's everything in moderation and then balance your plate. So on your plate, you need to look at your plate before you eat it and go, you have a reasonable amount of protein, you have a reasonable amount of a carbohydrate. Now, a carbohydrate can be bread, it can be spud, it can be uh, couscous, rice and so on. But don't have five different types of carbohydrate on the plate. It's not an Irish Christmas where we have a tasting menu of potato, you know. <laughs> have a no. bit of something. Like here, I suggest for a really good healthy barbecue, a spatchcock chicken, a few slices of breast, a few slices of a thigh, some tender stem broccoli, some sweet potatoes. Boom. So you have your protein, you have your greens, you have your veggies, and you also have your carbs on the plate. And it will fill you and it will keep you going for the whole day. And you're setting yourself up. Look, it's a barbecue. We only get a few days a year that That's we can right. actually go out and do this in this country. Well, we have a few so, coming up now because I'm looking at my weather forecast for the weekend and it's looking fairly, fairly decent. It. We'll be able to get the barbecue out. <laughs> I'd nearly clean it again. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Jack, always a pleasure. Thanks a million. Jack O'Keefe, Ireland AM a TV chef. And the barbecue, it's not the meat. Thanks be to goodness, it's not the meat. At the, but that's if you use charcoal. And I had um, his buddy, John Relihan, on before here. And if you've any kind of a decent charcoal at all, I've got one of these ones that's it's the 57 centimeter one, you know the one. And when you've got the charcoal heated up in the in the chimney bucket, obviously pour it onto the barbecue and you, you spread it and then you take the little wire brush or one of your yolks as it were and move it all to one side so that you should only have the charcoal on one side of the burner and that way you scorch the meat on the hot side as it were and then cook it cook the meat on the other side so if you, if you scorch the outside of say the burgers on the really hot side and then move them over to the other side. You can walk away and let them there because they won't burn. They'll cook away lovely. 0818 96 96 96 and when you're doing all that when you are doing all of that you're going to need some music are you not? And that's a good opportunity for you to turn on our our Back Garden Festival which is Cork's 96 FM's exclusive online station the Back Garden Festival back this summer streaming the biggest hits from the headline acts of all the gigs up and down the country brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL your specialist in sound this summer listen on the app or go to 96fm.ie on the barbecue calories I consume that in drinks Kevin no bother 3000 calories isn't as much as you think well Kevin let me just Look this up. Uh, the number of calories in a pint of beer. Do you want, if you were going to drink 3,000 calories, will I tell you how many pints that is? I will in just a sec. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Right, right, Kevin. Kevin says you'd consume 3,000 calories in drink at a barbecue. No bother. It isn't as much as you'd think. I was just looking up a quick ready reckoner there. 
Kevin, and your average pint or your average can, your average tall can of beer, you'd be knocking back about 14 of them for 3,000 calories. You wouldn't have much room for a steak now after that, now to be fair, but that's roughly. <laughs> or, or 15 Mars bars. Be roughly the same. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the first ever rammed earth public building in Ireland is to be developed at Tremor Valley Park. Sean Anton O'Hurry is lead architect at Fwynev Workshop Architects. Um, Sean, good morning to you. Tell me first and foremost, what the hell is a rammed earth building? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you very much, firstly, for having us on the line. Um, what rammed earth is, PJ, is effectively, it's when you have earth underground, you have, you have topsoil. So that's just basically top layer. And then beneath that, you have subsoil. Okay. So when you dig up that, subsoil has a, an agent in it called clay, and that's a binding agent that holds it all together. So what we're making is a wall. We're going to make shuttering, like pans on either side, and then put the subsoil in, which has a high clay contact content in it, and compact it down with a stabilising agent with it to make these walls inert. And the walls are approximately two feet, two feet wide. So it's an interesting kind of form of construction. Um, but it's it's a historic form of construction. Yeah. It's, it's happened in many places across the world. So it it sounds with, like the way you'd build an old-fashioned mud hut. It's 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 very similar, but mud would, would be kind of with daub and with sort of um, fibre and so forth. This is kind of more just just simply with clay. And then the actual earth itself is less exposed. So there's no, um, when you did the old mud huts, they would often put a line finish onto the side of the building yeah. um, and protect then from sort of ingress from water and so forth. But this, the actual earth itself will be exposed and you'll be able to see the earth oh, really? um, outside. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so what is it you're building then in Tremor Valley Park? Well, what it is, is that the background is that there was a competition coordinated by um, Cork City Council um, and the artist Lennon Taylor were kind of resident artists here in the park and they have they had a call out for a competition to design um, what they call an eco-lab. So effectively a small um, building uh, which would be a gathering point within Tremor Valley Park for um, people coming to visit the park to create an idea of kinships. This idea of being where people come and discuss and the ecology of the park. Oh, and yeah. This the is part of the kinship the project. We've discussed this before, yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's part of this kind of la- larger, broader kinship project for the kind of rejuvenated Tremor Valley Park for Cork City Council. And will it be a large building? Will will it will will people be like? Will it be like an office? What will it be? Uh, it's it's very modest. It's um, forty square meters, which is. Um, a small apartment. A very, a very, very small, a shoebox apartment. Um, and it, it's an open structure, so it has two walls, two gable walls. It has and a series of columns, and then it has timber hip roof. And then we're actually going to attach the roof itself, so it's going to use the ancient form or historic form of in, in Irish stru- old structures to a reattach roof. So hopefully the idea is that the structure itself will kind of encourage and ex- and allow people to explore the materials and see them directly of reed and touch right. um, and, and earth as well itself. So the earth will be still exposed on the outside, correct? That, that's correct, yes. And do you, what do you do then? Do you do walls inside or what do you do, you know? Forget it's, it's my ignorance op- here, do you plaster it or is it all wide open earth it's, walls? It's, it's all going to be open earth walls. And the thing about the earth is that when it's compacted, it goes rock hard. 
So a lot of people, when they will come and see it, they'll be putting their hands on it and they'll be trying to flick the earth off. But because it's, it's imagine when you build any building, you take off the subsoil and you come down to the solid ground and you'd actually go down to the kind of beneath. Um, you know, most buildings are obviously are sitting on top of earth and then they're compacted earth. So, sure. And that's effectively, you know, we're, except we're, we're effectively what we're doing here is just building the walls out of the ground, but in, compacted, in a compacted nature. So what happens is you, with these shutters, you put in layers of the subsoil and then with rammers, like steel rammers, we have a series of volunteer students from um, UCC, the architecture school, and they're going to assist us with compacting the earth down oh, into this. Oh, so it'll be pressed into... Oh, exactly, gotcha. sorry, yeah. And it's, it's a very interesting pr- process because what happens, it's like you actually know that it's going to be compacted from the sound. So you've got steel rammers and then there's a kind of a, a hollow sound. And then when it gets... To, when it's compacted, you get a ding, so it's like this high-pitched sound, and then you know that it's actually it's, it's reached its kind of optimum points. Then, right, and I, I take it that all the water and moisture will seep out of it when it's being squashed down. Is that it? You're, you're asking all the right questions, Peter. And um, you have to have kind of a, the optimum moisture content within yeah. the within the earth itself. So if it's too wet, it gets muddy, and then it, it becomes runny, and then it's not effective. So it has to be kind of a small bit moist and somewhat dry and we're very fortunate actually to be doing the project in collaboration with um, MTU in Bishopstown where they're doing, they're doing kind of laboratory tests on the earth, they're doing moisture tests on the earth and they're also doing compressive tests on the earth to make sure, one, that we have the correct clay content right. and two, that we have the correct moisture content um, in order to build those. And walls. will the earth come from the park? Um, it's come from Balanhatic. Right. Um, very fortunately, it was donated by a very good man, Ivan Mulcahy, in Balanhasek. He okay. was digging out a site, and he, uh, I saw the earth when I was driving by. He's a neighbour of mine. Um, and I just popped in, and I said, is there any chance we could get a couple of tonnes of that subsoil? And uh, we had to do some testing on it first to see if that had correct clay content. Excellent. Thankfully, it did. Um, so from there, we're, we're big... We're and it'll be there. called Dentolov of the ground. Exactly, it's the Irish word. And it comes from the idea, I suppose, that for everyone, if you're from Cork, you probably kind of associate with, with the former dump that was here, where yes. it's kind of built up the ground. So the idea is you're taking material from the ground, you're building it, compacting it up, so it's off ground. And then ultimately, it's because this building is this idea of, you know, re- the reuse of materials and questioning how we use materials in today's society. It's the idea that all the materials in this building, that they could be kind of just they could naturally go back and dissolve back into the ground. So there's okay. earthen walls, there's timber roof structure, and then there's reeds on top. Okay. So everything is, in a way, biodegradable. When do you hope it'll be open, that we can see it? Um, <laughs> that, that's the million-dollar question. Well, we're, we started the groundwork last week, um, and we're, we're constructing, the, hopefully going to start the formwork for the walls next week, um, and all going well. Oh, at the end of autumn, we would like to think um, that, okay. that it'll be open. For- that, that, that's fingers crossed, you know. I look forward to seeing it. Sean, thank you very much. Sean Antonio, where he is the lead architect at Fwynev Workshop, constructing Den Tolive at Tremor Valley Park. That, that's in. That's fascinating. Because i got to be said. 0818-969696. Lastly today, one of the great pop stars of the 80s and 90s, Belinda Carlisle is back in Cork. She'd been 35 years as a solo artist. Started out with a group called the Go-Go's. Kind of a rock stroke, punk stroke pop outfit back in the back in the 80s. Went solo and then went back with them and she's just had hit after hit after hit over the years. And she's back in Cork Opera House. Third time lucky 
this coming weekend. And I had an opportunity to chat with her for the opinion line. Delighted to be joined on the opinion line by none other than Belinda Carlyle herself. Belinda, several attempts to have this gig, but it's finally happening Friday night, Cork Opera House. Yes, I'm excited. It's uh, the three to- third time is a charm. Yeah. So fingers crossed nothing will get in the way. I'm flying to Ireland tomorrow, so um, I, I don't foresee any any problems. And, and uh, yeah, I was very, you know, sort of upset and embarrassed that it, that, that it, it got cancelled twice. Mm. I was looking back over your career, and shall we just say I'm old enough to remember when Vacation came out? Yeah, 1981. 82, it's around there. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah. What I didn't know was that the Go-Go's had reformed and you toured again with them. Well, I mean, through, through, we broke up in 1984 and then we, we sporadically did, did little tours, their dates in the States. And actually this past spring was our last tour and, and um, we're, you know, we're putting the Go-Go's to rest but, um, you know, I mean, we've done everything. We were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, which yeah. is a big deal and sort of the pinnacle of our of our career. And it was just I think it's sometimes there's something to be said for for, uh, you know, quitting at the top. Yeah. When you went solo after Go-Go's broke up the first time, were you nervous about it embarking on a solo career? Is, is there is, is, is it a nervy thing to do? Well, I, I mean, I'm kind of person that doesn't think before they jump. And what was really scary is being on stage for the first time without the security blanket of, you know, four other, four other girls. So that was kind of scary. It took a good year to get used to it. Yeah. And then the hits just started to happen one after the other. I remember being a, a radio DJ at the time and like hit song after hit song after hit song. You were blessed with success. Absolutely. I, I have to work with some of the best songwriters in the world, and I've been very, very lucky to work with these people. So the gig at the weekend, is it the solo career, or can we expect a Go-Go song or two? I mean, I usually have one or two Go-Go songs, but the Go-Go's were, were more in, known more on a cult level, so yeah. not a lot of people know know about the go-go's outside of um america really i mean there's a pockets of a few countries yeah. but um but i usually sort of as a nod i normally put a go-go song it's kind of music radio broke them over here a little bit we, we used to play go-go songs in the in the early days of of uh, independent music radio do you have an all-time favorite hit record that was maybe surprised you i think summer rain was like it was kind of like I mean, that song is weirdly huge, you know, around the world, which is weird because it really didn't do that. It did okay in the charts, but people have like a real thing for that song. So, and they have, I know, a movie that goes with it and it's like that all over the world. Hit songs always depend also on not just being a good song, but what's going on in the world and the charts or whatever. So... Um, you know, when you're in the studio and you have those kind of songs come along, you kind of know it, but you know, also know that it depends on a lot of other things, not just you. Yeah. Do you still enjoy the touring and the, do you still record? Well, the touring, that's hard. I mean, I'm doing less and less slogging it out on the road. I have 
um, you know, I, I, I can't do it at the pace that, and I don't want to do it at the pace I used to. Yeah. And, but I still, I mean, I'm always going to do something and I'm always going to work and I'm always going to just pick things that are fun, you know, which is kind of what it's all about for me at this point in my career. Um, and so I, I have a new, some new music coming out, um, probably in February of next year. It's all done, but they're just kind of waiting. And so that's kind that was kind of unexpected and it's a long story, but it's a good story. And, and, um, so that'll be coming out, and then I have another album coming out next year. So it's going to be it's going to be a busy year next year too. Yeah. How's how has your health been? I know you went through some rough years. My health is fine. I mean, you know, it's I'm really uh, I'm very very lucky to have my health, and yeah, I do yoga every day. I do pranayama, breath work every day. I meditate every day, um, and I make time for myself so I don't allow myself to get you know run down when I'm doing this. That's why I was going back to the pace of touring. It's, it's really yeah. sort of, you know, harder when you're in your 60s than when you're, than when you're, you're in your 20s. Yeah, there was a lot of, you've talked openly about it, there was a lot of drinking drugs in the early days. Well, well, everybody does it. So, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, just one of those things. Yeah. yeah, It's not unusual and I've talked about it too much. Actually, but yes, I mean, I've been I've been sober pretty much for seventeen. Well, I for it's, it's seventeen years now. So, um, yeah. Good for you. Well, there's great excitement about the gig on Friday night in in Cork Opera House. Have you ever be, played in Ireland before, Belinda? Yeah, I played. I played in. Um, I did it. Uh, the Gogos did a tour with Madness, and um, through the years, I've done shows at Baker Street, and I haven't. I don't think I've played Cork before. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, look forward to seeing you. And thank you for being with me today on the show. And uh, have a good gig on Friday night. Thank you. Take care. That's Belinda Carlisle speaking to me yesterday. The songs, I mean, you know, I mentioned the Go-Go's. I'd have been a Go-Go's fan. So there was Vacation, there was Our Lips Are Sealed, and then her own stuff. You know, Heaven is a Place on Earth, Circle of the Sand, Mad About You, the Summer Rain song that uh, she mentioned there is one of her all-time favourites. They'll all be on display Friday night at Cork Opera House. Oh, would you believe There are tickets left. There are tickets left to get them at the Opera House. Would you believe it? I can't actually go <laughs> after all of that. But uh, I hope she has a great, great, great gig. This uh, caller says, My wife always puts a wreath on Jack Lynch's grave at Christmas time. And that's very nice to hear. Yeah, with someone saying that they'd ever see. And I noticed that the last time I was in that in that particular um, cemetery not been there for a while now um, but there was nothing on Jack's grave and on either side of all the Republican plots all had flowers on it with some stuff held over from our uh, conversation with Dr. Neetu which I'll get to tomorrow and we are just inundated with stuff about the NCT and I think we might have shared that picture from NASA which is just stunning the first pictures in from the web Telescope. That's it, though. The program edited by Phil, by Phil Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
He's the Titan in the 10 gallon hat, the global country music giant that is the honorary Irishman, Mr. Garth Brooks. Morning, Garth. <laughs> How are you, sir? Hey, this interview's over. I enjoyed it. That was <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, what is the plan? Do you think you're going to make it down to Cork? Uh, will you get a little helicopter spin down to, down to the south of the country, Garth? We do not do helicopters, but uh, I, we have the time to travel. Wait, wait, when you say you're going to have time to travel, you won't need much time to travel because, you know, like Ireland is the size of one of your malls over there. So you'll probably see it in about an hour. <laughs> I can tell you this. Yeah. There won't be a second wasted. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. 96 FM.